everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Never has a podcast used the term bequeathed more times in one episode. And if that doesn't garner a five-star review, well, I don't know what does. Dr. Kara Miller, a.k.a. The Developmental Coach, wants you to break your shit. What exactly does that mean? Well, it means disrupt your way of doing business, be it in your personal or your professional relationships. And if you're a leader, this should be an ongoing part of your development. Understand that having the perfect vision board, for instance, doesn't typically prepare you for the inevitable barriers and obstacles that will knock you on your ass. The emphasis really should be placed on developing a system within your circle that anticipates those obstacles and practices resilience. And this, the concept of the feedback economy and balancing vulnerability and strength, these are just a few things that Dr. Kara Miller discusses with the crew today. Here it is, episode 364. Power Athlete Nation. It's that time again. If you are a brand new listener, have I got a surprise for you. This is Luke. Tex, hello. Special guest John Wellborn. So Tex, hello means my name is Tex. Special guest John Wellborn means I'm John Wellborn. El Nino means the Nino. The Nino. (laughs) We have a authentic, 100% undoctored, uncensored review of Power Athlete Radio to open up this show. This could be your (laughs) review. Head to iTunes, leave us a review, and this could be you. Tex, are you ready? Uh, I'm going to hand this one off to John. This is from Z-Ball. <laughs> Great nickname. Hmm, right. Tex, you know, I'm not a big count guy. I don't know how I can really count to numbers, but how many stars is that? Five. Five stars? One, five, two, three, four, five, fifth. fifth. <laughs> All right. So this one is from Z-Ball and is titled, Why Aren't You Listening? With a question mark. Ironic, because they are if they're hearing this. (laughs) I've been listening to this podcast since 2015 and have now finally decided to write a review. Hmm. Perhaps that's all you need to know uh, that after five years, I am still here. These guys are truly open minds in regards to strength and conditioning, ing, ing, training, nutrition, mindset, bantering, and shtick. Yes. I believe in them so much that I decided to take their methodology course last year. That's right. Thank you. They also have amazing guests who have caused me to go down the proverbial rabbit hole on several of the topics mentioned above. These guys are relatable. Yeah. Funny. Sometimes. I'll take it. Authentic with no BS. All the time. My wife, who doesn't even subscribe to this sort of thing, likes to listen every now and then. No way. They offer several strength and conditioning programs to fit anyone's need. I currently subscribe to Jack Street and have been on the Gaines train ever since. I guess he doesn't know that Gaines is spelled with a Z. It's not his fault. If you want to get some knowledge bombs, humor, and overall a better understanding of how to train, you need to subscribe. Oh, couldn't be more accurate, except for the funny part. Because he meant to say text is funny, sometimes burn. What I got you, you good, you fucker. What say you, McQuilkin? I'm pushing well, I'm trying to find someone else's review on a different podcast, and we don't have to name oh, yeah. how bad it ben is. Ben Greenfield. Okay, I'll pick that one. <clears throat> so, ladies and gentlemen, that is an authentic, 100% true review. Five stars. And, ladies and gentlemen, what fantastic feedback. Unfortunately, well, or maybe not unfortunately... Uh, we don't know what the currency is on that feedback. We don't know the economics behind it because you're going to learn a little bit about that 
in today's show with another five-star guest, leadership coach, or developmental coach, I guess, leadership coach, Dr. Kara Miller, who is also a Power Athlete Symposium presenter alumni. We're proud to have her on. Supporter of Power Athlete and uh, the initiatives that we're into, and a super dialed-in, super sharp uh, guest, and we're excited to have her on today because she's going to talk about breaking shit not like Limp Biscuit, like break shit, but breaking your Give shit. Give me something to break. <laughs> uh, Tex, how's the stalling going? Would you say that it's popping? I'd say it's about to pop off. <laughs> oh, I don't know if we should read this one. Uh, okay, so this guy is from Ricky Higgins. <laughs> Rick Higgins, one-star review. Whose podcast is this for? Ben Greenfield. Oh, it's okay. So Ben Greenfield. I've never listened to this show. Are we just doing a p- compare and contrast? So yeah, just so this a guy, random grab of one review versus uh, another. This, random. This is actually <laughs> recent, seeing as that today is May 5th. Yeah, so this was just last week. Um, Rick Higgins says, this guy is a D-bag. Don't listen to this chump. He is so into himself, and it's clear. Brutal show. Well, well that's some... Tough feedback. That is. That is. I mean, that's really the type of currency that you need to continue to strive to do better. I kind of disagree, John. I feel like everyone's core values should include don't be a douchebag. But mm, yeah, that oh, is. Here's, going it, back to I one of my this, favorite realizations, talking to Paul Carter, you're a douchebag. Like going back to you're only an extra in somebody's movie. Uh, you're a douchebag in somebody's. Yeah. A bit. Everyone here is a douchebag. In somebody's <laughs> movie, you're the D-bag. Oh, for, for, sure, for I, sure. I just picked another random review random. out of the hat. <laughs> All right. So this is from Coach1515. Good info from guests. Hmm. Host routinely oversells all products and health concepts mentioned. Steals a lot of his cash phrases from Tim Ferriss. Ooh, Tim Ferriss, we should read those reviews. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, this is what we're talking about. This is how we're getting in top 200. You want to know why? Because even when we go on OPP, other people's podcasts, and by we, I do mean mostly John, we dominate. And they go offline and they're like, John, how do you guys do it? How do you do it? And John says the same thing every time. I don't know. I'm just a featured guest. It's all Luke and text. <laughs> uh, uh, some of that story is true. Some of it's not. We don't have to go into the details, John. Uh, uh, how <laughs> Do we have any performance numbers for podcasts that I haven't been invited on? Oh, yeah, they're, in the, they're at the top. Oh, oh what do you mean? Like uh, other OPP? No, like our pod, like uh, Power Athlete Radio, when you guys have done podcasts where you didn't invite me to come on. We just sit here and oh, talk about movies, five? and we just go, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Tex, remember in Terminator, where he cut his arm, and his arm was a, was a machine? <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, and then you're talking about a causal loop versus a Back to the Future <laughs> plot, which includes a grandfather paradox. No, Back to the Future is a grandfather paradox, which just off the top of my head is a possible <laughs> resolution Definitely not that a time travel can do anything that did happen, mm-hmm. but they can't do anything that didn't happen because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. then it'll change the future. All right, here's the Back truth. Back to the future. Here's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. We have two hours and 30 minutes of non-stop ins and outs of rabbit holes. Kara does a great job of keeping us on task, but we take it all over the place. And um, man, for anyone looking to level up their role as a, you know, a spouse, as a parent, as a boss, as an employee, uh, it all is kind of steeped in one common thread. And that's what we're going to get into today with Kara. And I think she does like an amazing job of just kind of telling it how it is letting you know why some of the peripheral stuff doesn't always work for people and where it all kind of really starts is numero uno, which is you. So 
Let's dig into that and let's teach you how to break your shit. Ready? Go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it was me and you. It was just me and you on that one. Uh-huh. And she... And nothing's changed. Analyzed. Nothing matters. <laughs> yeah, you Kara. Still need, you still need partner coaching. <laughs> what is the deal? Well, what's We're weird is uh, they're actually in some form of, like, couples counseling, which is more appropriate that, you know... Uh, yeah. You have, you have, uh, you know, kind of the gilded woman who's been beat down and, mm-hmm. you know, on the verge of coming. At least I'm trying, John. <laughs> well, you're the oppressor in this thing. I am not. <laughs> Tex, if you look at me again. Look at me. We're already in archetypes here. That's a oh, trip. Kara, <laughs> have you seen 21 Jump Street, the, the remake, the movie with Channing no, Tatum? Oh, my no, goodness gracious. Well, anyway, they're partners. They're cop buddies. And they're also living together. And then they have to go to couples therapy, and it's hilarious. Are you, are you saying that you and Luke are in couples therapy? That you guys are really just undercover SWAT op, or uh, narcs? I wish Maybe. you would. That would be such a cool story. Could you uncover something more interesting? That would be cool. I'd honestly, oh, this long con that uh, is power Luke, athlete? Luke would go in there and yes. be like uh, pouring his soul out tears. Tex would yeah. be just in the corner with a lampshade on his head trying to pretend he's part of the wall. Mm-hmm. Which is what happens. <laughs> and it hurt. When we discuss emotions. Uh, hiding behind a curtain, like clearly there's a man behind that curtain. You're like uh, in um, uh, Grandma's Boy where you're up against the wall. You're like, how does he see me? <laughs> uh, well, Kara, welcome back. Yes. Hi. And uh, yeah, welcome to the new studio for those of us who are those of us. Yeah, sure. Those of us who are listening who ha- don't know who Kara Miller is. Kara is a previous podcast guest. Text, you reckon, oh. remember the n- number? I do remember... Power Athlete Symposium. Oh, and previous Symposium yeah. alumni. And like, I thought broke down the wall elegantly, which is a is a symposium term for uh, like not being necessarily a presenter, not being a moderator, not being a practical, but br- doing them all, right? Um, so I really dug it. And I think that- Where you don't get out of the, you don't get out of involvement. Right, yeah. And a heavy lift. For the listeners, Luke and I's couple session was yes. episode 248. Mm-hmm. Okay. 248. And what episode are we on now? You know, I feel like this, um, like, you know, the bad joke that you just keep telling? No. All the time? <laughs> All my jokes? Uh, beat you to it? I kind of feel like we're like, God, I, I uh, like when we started this podcast, if you told me that it was just going to have to just mm-hmm. keep going, I would have been like, well, we have to set a number. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Or, or don't don't you just like restart and be like, hey, this is episode one? Uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> like I'm trying to. You look back, and I feel like in that, that time we thought like things had really started popping for us. We got the soundboard, the echo had started popping. Um, we built a podcast room. We built. Well, this is, is before that. Is that where the ing ing joke came from? Yeah, yeah one, way back then we had we, the soundboard, and then you remember Luke so, was in here, so then we just imitated <laughs> the ing ing ing. We've been beating this dead horse yes. oh, yeah. for. Yeah. Two and a half years, uh, mm-hmm. if not longer. And that was when I thought we were catching our stride. And then going back to what you're saying, John, and care for your information, then we got <laughs> we started podcasting here because we got internet. And I thought we really were going to catch our stride then. <laughs> and then we started podcasting in the podcast room. And then I thought we were going to catch our stride then. Then we finished it out and trimmed it out. Yeah. And that's where we're at today. What can we still do haven't catch our stride? No, we're working on that st- stride length and frequency. Yeah. We haven't figured but it out. But if your best inside joke that you repeat is all from a technical difficulty, <laughs> you, you got to level up. It's one of our best. I mean, there's there's hundreds of our best. <laughs> Name one. Uh, uh, the beat in the hole. Yeah, beat dead the, horse thing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good one. 
Yeah. Well, and is, is becoming that. So, you know, you better level up there and then you don't need that joke anymore. Well, we think the funny thing about like couples therapy is people go there looking for a third party to effectively point the finger at like who's right yeah. and wrong. Like yeah. people go and they're like, they both spit and then they sit there and they wait for the third person that's there to be like, yeah, no, you're an asshole. Like, what's, uh, like, what's which that is term fine affirmation? between you guys, I can be that for you. Well, yeah, it's like those people that come to the old CrossFit football seminar saying, hey, look at my program. Tell me mm. I'm right. What is that term for that? But I would say... Cognitive bias? Mm. Confirmation bias. Yeah. Oh, sorry. It's confirmation bias. But that right. would likely be the case, John, in my opinion, which is based off no experience with this and only John Howard's opinion, is if they uh, go to therapy after it's broken. Because John Howard was talking about how he does get proactive couples who go in there. Nothing's necessarily wrong. They're just trying to understand how to get better. So maybe they're not looking for this confirmation of who's right or wrong. They're just looking at opportunities to improve. And I think that's where Tex and I are. We're totally functional, happy, right, Tex? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like tears and he's choking back the tears. Tex is saying yes, but shaking his head and a sideways. You know, yeah, hard. that's pretty difficult. Yeah, it is. And there's just tears streaming yeah, it is. in his it face. Is, isn't it? No, it's not. Yeah. All of a sudden, Luke's just kicking him underneath the table. Mm. When I get you mm. home, you're... I would never do that to my so, to Saw my those moves on the dance floor. <clears throat> Wedding crashers, when he kicks him underneath the dinner table. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So Kara, Kara back, back to you, and thank you for joining. And for our listeners who do want to go back to 248, strongly suggest it. But for maybe the ones who have jumped on, uh, you know, now that we're a top 200 fitness podcast on iTunes. Top Congratulations. It's yes. about consistency, John. Oh, thank okay. you, thank you, thank you. We've, we Here. have... Here's here's to cheer. here's the cheers. I my cups over here. But John, the ranking system, which I've totally invented, at least, is like if you've been on above a threshold for eight weeks, you can get that top threshold. Mm. So we've been in top two hundred for eight weeks. We've we've gone to top fifty a couple weeks, but I don't know. Maybe that's too honest. Or maybe other people just don't do them every week. They do them every other week. Mm-hmm. So the the weeks that those fucking slackers are off, we. Chris, and then we just take it. Yeah, yeah. It but isn't that like a buy? That that's not really a cheers, right? For Listen, a buy, uh, I always looked at buys as wins. Who's the in football? <laughs> like when we had a bye week, I'm like, look like we won, or this is treating like a win week. You know, but Kara, it wasn't a loss. Let Let's go ahead and let's shift gears. Hand the baton to you. Um, take as much time as you'd like to bring our listeners up to speed with who you are, what do you do, and how you got into this role. Wow, that's quite an open invitation. Um, I love leaders. I love people who are trying to influence the people that they love and that they lead and where they see themselves being effective. And um, that's why I like you guys. I see you hungry for influence. I see you wanting to grow. I see you unfixed. And uh, those are the kind of leaders that I'd love. They um, get me all smiley and, you know, uh, to use your other overused word, popping. Um, so that's my role. That's my business. It exists to push and support leaders. And the kind that you talked about uh, wanting the people who want therapy, who actually want to break their game and do better those are the kind of clients that I love. Those are the leaders that I will bend over backwards for. Those are the people I'm writing for. Those are the people I'm recording. 
supporting for. And those are the people I am rooting for. So if leaders are my game, uh, coaching is the avenue that society does best with, with that. And so, um, so yeah, so I'm honored. I have a bunch of people who call me coach and let me push them around to improve and um, hold a mirror for them to look at, is their influence the, the one that they want it to be? Is their legacy the one that they want it to be? And um, if they're suspicious that they're at their limit or they're at their edge and there might be more, they are always right. And um, you guys, we've been in conversations over the years, um, various different times and ones of you, and that's where you've been, at the limit, at the edge, but you know there's something beyond that for your own capacity. And it usually means getting a kick and, um, and having somebody alongside you who's willing to say, look, complexity is freaky as all get out, and ambiguity when there's not an answer that someone else has already given, um, that's, that's weird. That's weird territory. And, um, and yet the most elite leaders and the most interesting people in the world, I would contend are the people who live at that limit and are pushing that edge. And, um, I wanted to be doing that. That's what I want to be doing. Um, so that's what I love to talk about. Has that always <laughs> been the deal care? I mean, have, is this like what you, knew your path was going to take you like through undergrad and graduate and everything and your post uh, graduate degrees in some form which i imagine is probably everybody's answer like i can see now what i was seeking but i certainly didn't have a definition for what it was then i knew that uh, in my undergrad and graduate school work i knew people wanted to feel belonging and so I st started studying that from an academic perspective, like a sociological perspective. Why do people join groups? Why do people join groups where the leader is strange, like cults or, you know, abduction groups or, right? Like there's some really interesting groups and people join them. And what's going on there? What kind of influence are they seeking and responding to? So, and, and what's the heart of belonging? What is it that will bring that for us? And you guys are awesome. And one of your pillars is community. So I would say I started seeking that. What's community? Why do we all want it? Who can give it well? Um, and that, that carried me through until I found out that leadership and organizations really is a field of study, an academic field of study with all kinds of awesome research where adult development, studying how people deal with change, and how they grow and lead others in a healthy way, that that's an academic field of study. So that took me to, to those degrees and to being a professor. And then real life is just so much more intriguing and um, fulfilling than case studies. And so now I work with real deal clients and these are their real lives. So we're talking about belonging, talking about influence, talking about leadership and what happens when people organize and try to influence one another. Um, so yes, but not real. I mean, I didn't really get it. So, but that's a short, short version of the journey by theme. Okay. So I know like this is, this is way below your expertise, but it sounds like it, you've previously studied it. So like, what's the deal with these cults? Why are people joining these crazy people where <laughs> yeah. it's like well, to, well, to the outsource? Outsor um, John knows, John knows. Yeah. <laughs> re yeah re reframe <laughs> that. You know, at Berkeley, I took a class on cults. 
awesome. Yes. Yeah. So uh, it was pretty it was super, super like, right? yeah, it, it really blew me away. Yeah. But you can refa- uh, reframe that. Like, why do people search and like, why would they like attach and follow something that had an ideology that was inherently harmful or might not be in their best interest, I think would be a better reframing. Cause when you look sure. at the cults, they make a lot of promises, but like they never yes. really benefit the follower, which always blew my mind that people would join up to this stuff. Yeah. So, yes. Well, and it goes to the core of why do we follow anyone or why do we want to belong to any community? Why do we want to use brands, you know, like why do we identify with those kinds of things so strongly? I mean, sports fans, athletics fans, right? They die for the affiliation. Um, And fans are short for fanatics for a reason, right? So what's the fanaticism? Um, I was surprised to learn in studying these cult groups and interviewing them. I got to be a bunch of part of a bunch of research studies and Gallup polls where we you know, tried to figure out what's going on and surprised to find out that really what people are doing is a a social version of a cost benefit analysis, like a psychological version of that. So if a cult offers me social belonging and I haven't been able to find that somewhere else, then that feels like a huge benefit worthy of a, a huge cost which may mean cutting myself off from my family members or moving on to a commune or giving all of my money or shaving my head or whatever it is. But it's the um, understanding that the way that that person makes meaning about the cost and the benefit is the core equation. And the same is true for whether, you know, people want to join a gym or they want to attend a, you know, religious community or be a political party member. Um, I'm looking at costs and benefits and I'm weighing those inside internally in a, you know, meaning equation. And that's sort of where I started to think about, wow, we're really sense-making machines. We are making sense of what we get, what we lose, and how that feels, what that means about our self-concept. And um, so that's the... That's the base answer. It gets very complicated beyond that. But <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I mean, sex, well, drugs, the, and rock and roll, and you know. Well, the <laughs> uh, the two things. One is obviously, um, and we saw this with Charlie Manson when I analyzed his yeah. deal. It had to do a lot with drugs. So there, yeah. you know, when people take a lot of the hallucinogens and psychedelics, they become very open to suggestion. The other yeah. one uh, common thread of most of the people that are in the cults is some form of deep-seated emotional trauma that happens early in life that ends up becoming almost replicated but made okay by the leaders in the deal. Like if, uh, let's say, kids are sexually assaulted or this or you feel you're ostracized, there's this feeling of like a similar deal, but now I'm included. Mm-hmm. And uh, like when they looked at like not only the uh, the psychological kind of, you know, like, because they, they went through, and especially the Charlie Manson stuff, like, I mean, mm-hmm. he, you know, Sharon Tate and all these, you know, Hollywood people and people of, like, money in this, I mean, all pulled in, but it was all under suggestion with, um, you know, LSD and, you know, psilocybin and all this other stuff for Charlie Manson. But some of the other stuff is even more interesting where people have these traumas and feel that, that the way that they'll get through it, that the acceptance that people aren't judging them, that, that now they're part of a safe environment. And even though the cult leaders are uh, these kind of father figure-ish type people, they all, all of a sudden like exhibit many of the characteristics 
that were similar to the abuses that these people went through. So it's like um, normal, healthy people that, that haven't suffered abuse early in life don't really join cults. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, that, um, but, but I, so I, guess I guess we can expand the definition of cult. I guess it's important as one of these eccentric leaders who potentially are out, I, you got like recruiting, I guess, right, to understand the profile. Or was it just coincidental that like, you know, birds of a feather flock together and then you just stumble across this or like it, well, it, it depends on like charismatic what the, speakers. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, one of my classes in, um, at Berkeley in rhetoric, um, I think I've told you guys a story on this before. Uh, we came in and there was a TV set up and the professor turned it on and it was one of, uh, Adolf Hitler's speeches. I don't speak German. There was no subtitles, but we watched this speech. I mean, it was in front of hundreds of thousands of people, like the reverence, the sweat, I mean, the, like dudes like freaking out and like, to feel impassioned and even, and then you like, you know that, Hey, this is Adolf Hitler and this is Nazi Germany. And you go through the whole thing in your head, but you can't help, but feel like wrapped up a little in this. exhilarated. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like feeling like, you know, conflicted in this and like seeing the people cheering and it's, um, you know, and, and, uh, that, that was one of the, uh, the people like, you know, they talked about, you know, Heaven's Gate and Charlie Manson, but also the Nazis being a cult because, you know, the occult, uh, their branding, you know, you know, us versus them. This is who we are. This is how we define all the, uh, all the characteristics were there of those guys. So pretty interesting. Well, and for someone who wants to use that influence or use that charisma or affiliation in a healthy way, right? Let's say we have a healthy leader. We have few of them, fewer of them to point to, but we have some of them, right? Like if we want to use what we understand about influence and what we understand about people's deep desire for belonging, um, then we can actually do that in a healthy way. And I mean, you guys are doing this really well. Like what's the best you know, set of learning, what's the best, you know, most influential point of delivery so that people do want to improve, so that people do want the positive influence. They want to increase their performance. They want to um, move in a way that protects the parts of their bodies that end up exposed in older forms of training, right? So, you know, your ability to use some of those things that you learned, like in the Berkeley class or what about influence and affiliation, even about fanaticism. It's like, can we get people fanatical about the right things, about, you know, eating your weaknesses for lunch, dinner, and dessert? And, you know, like, can you, can we teach people how to break their own assumptions and get themselves out of fixed places? Um, and, you know, I, I think that's really an exciting application of learning how gnarly it is when people misuse it um, we can learn how healthy it can be and how widespread it can be. I mean, it can take a podcast into the top 200. I mean, boom. What, uh, (laughs) who's examples of benevolent leaders like in this space? I mean, I'm sure we can point to all the, you know, uh, all the bad ones, but I always think like, who's a benevolent leader that you could look to and say, you know, this is somebody that influences people in a positive way. So my favorite one right now that I'm like jamming on and I want to buy the t-shirt and I want to visit like the headquarters and everything. It's uh, Adam Mullally of Ford Motor Company and formerly of Boeing. I just read the book about his entire journey and turnaround. It's called American Icon. It's by uh, Bruce. I forget his last name. Um, I just finished it on Audible. It like there are a few books every year 
that really change the way I feel about my work and the way that I approach my work that will really revise things for me. And that one has done it. Adam Mullally, very interesting, benevolent, if we want to use that word, um, leader who knows about influence, knows about healthy organizations. And his whole mantra is super, super simple. It's working together. So his definition of working together comes down to something that you guys and I share a love for, which is accountability and responsibility um, at every point. At every point, everyone's ready to jump, to take responsibility, to take accountability. Um, he brought that into the Boeing family. He worked on every Boeing aircraft that they ever built. He was on the design team for every single one. Like, um, then they bring him to Ford in this super interesting John Grisham kind of style story. And he recruits Chris Farley's brother to come and be the marketing guy. And they sit down at this table and say, cut out all middle manager, communicator, messenger people, the whole world of Ford, we're all going to sit down and answer for whatever it is we want to take responsibility for. Let's do it. We're going to do it every day until we're good at it. Then we're going to do it every week till we're even better at it. 2008 hits, massive crisis. All the car manufacturers are all getting bailouts from the government. Ford got to turn it down. Like, we don't Take need the bailout. It. Dude, we don't need the bailout. We're going to get yeah. ourselves out of this by, by being people, by taking responsibility, by being accountable to each other. And the coolest part about him is he's like having a good time he's like an aw shucks kind of guy which it's now i've watched all of his talks right like i got directly on youtube i'm like binging him he's um he's probably 70 now yeah. i think older yeah, guy yeah i knew he was older i uh, uh i can i can picture his face but i can't remember like i i remember when he came forward and um was very transparent on like we're not taking the bailout money so and much. that was yeah. uh like i mean you know, and he's like, we're going to restructure, we're going to organize, yeah. we're not going to lay people off. And I thought it was uh, always yep. pretty legit. And it's fascinating. So you go behind in this story and really there's nothing special about the story. I mean, it's like a family that got itself in order, got its house in order. And it's the things that you guys, you know, and I really try to pound into practices. Like what are our practices? How do we inquire into our own you know, defaults and patterns and how do we get better? We're going to every day come to the table. You got your little table there, right? We're going to come to the table. We're going to break our own shit and we're going to build a machine that like makes us better and helps us enjoy each other like more and more and more over this life. So that is my number one answer right now. As you can tell, I got all enthusiastic. I'm like a Adam Mullally like <laughs> fan no, right great. now. <laughs> I did yeah. not know that Ford turned that, or I guess I didn't yeah. remember oh. or whatever. Yeah, that that was a big deal. Um, I would bet. Like, did I, anyone else turn that down? Uh, no, GM took it. Um, all the other. They major, all took it. Yeah, they all took they it. All and like, took it. Which is, and then they and were like, owned they, by the, the U.S. Government. government. That's the craziest thing of that is they got they were led by the government and they had to bank go bankrupt and dealing stuff and change all their thing. No, no, yeah, not Ford. Wow, no. The only problem, though, is uh, I just have such an inherent hate of Ford. Hatred? That's a hard oh, one. dang it. I know. I knew there was going to be some car problem because you guys uh, are. <laughs> I knew it. I knew I it. I love it. I love the Ford. I drive a Ford Taurus. I know you don't. Well, 
I imagine what it'd be like. <laughs> I hate Fords. Uh, the fixer repair daily found on road dead. I mean, the name's an acronym for everything. I mean, we like by by far the worst money pits I've owned have been Fords. So, um, well, you didn't ask me for my favorite car because I drive a Toyota <laughs> 4Runner and I swear by it. It's my second one. I Dude, used to have old, you old, can old drive one. the wheels off of a 4Runner. Love them. But you asked me for a benevolent leader that we should watch. <laughs> I, 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 dude, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of him. I'm just not a fan of the cars. They what made. about the, like, okay. I won't about, buy the t-shirt. Okay. What about what, like, what's, what's Ford's go-to model now? Uh, I know they redid the F-150. Uh, is, oh, the F-150, yeah, America's uh, most affordable pickup truck. Yeah, but they did a really cool deal where they, um, mm-hmm. I actually really appreciate that what Ford did with the Raptor. So what they mm-hmm. did is they took these oh, Raptors yeah. and they built some really killer trucks out of them. Uh, they actually sent a stock Raptor and they, it pre-ran Baja. So I thought that was always really neat. And, the, wow. and I've always really enjoyed and liked the Raptors. I just have a... After, Their legacy is t- tarnished in the Wellborn house. Uh, well, that 6.0 Power Stroke <laughs> diesel motor where they... I like... I. It still stings how much I had to pay for that. But in fairness, that's a Navistar motor. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but the fact that they would allow that well, almost put Navistar bankrupt. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. So, uh, but no, that's a that's an interesting one. Have you? I mean, what would be some examples? Like I, I always think uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So when you put people in these positions, and I uh, like, uh, like even I'm gonna, how am I going to say this? Um, even for myself here at Power Athlete, with what we do. Yeah. Uh, I yes. always find that there has to be this balance and uh, between like just telling people what they want to hear and, and, you know, basing everything on mysticism and this and like forcing people to be critical thinkers, like which is what I really strive. Like I want people to be educated in such a way that they don't need us or more importantly, they have the critical skills to analyze and go forward and do themselves. It's just so much easier to be like, just trust me, just follow me. And so I always think like Rob Wolf and I have talked about this at great length. He's like, oh, yeah. he, he's like, can you imagine if uh, we just spun a vegan diet? He's like, even though we knew it was bullshit or we, you know, instead of like, you know, lifting weights and the training stuff that we do that knows works, we just spun what the market wanted, which would be a vegan diet on boosted mm-hmm. balls. He's like, we would uh, be orders of magnitude ahead in terms of money by just giving people what they, what want. they wanted, not necessarily what they needed. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, but then we'd be unoriginal and we'd be liars. And, um, yeah. and you wouldn't yeah. sleep. Yeah. And, and the other one always goes back to, and these guys have heard me say it, the Charlie, was it Charlie Chaplin? Where it's like, I don't want to belong to any club that'll have me. <laughs> I forget. Yeah, we just came. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so cigar guy. Yeah. Uh, eyebrows. Um, Groucho Marx. Yeah, Groucho, sorry. yeah. Groucho Marx. I, I don't want to belong to any club that'll have me. It's yeah. kind of been like my mantra for years where like if somebody like wants us to I'm like, ah, I don't know, like uh, this, this might require, you know, uh, Albert Einstein, you know, uh, avoid anything that requires new clothes. You yeah. Know, kind of deal where. But in in a lot of times, like I think you have this really interesting thing where you can just kind of go in and, you know, create a cult of personality and build this hype and do the whole thing. Whereas, uh, you know, what does that necessarily get you? I mean, obviously, you know, adds to your success, but at the end of the day, it just feels unauthentic. Well, and so I think the question that you, that started with was, how do you avoid the temptation to do that? Because it is easier. It's sort of more efficient. You get a quicker feedback loop and stuff. So, um, you know, my answers to that, and I think part of the reason why I volunteered Adam as an example of this is because he was doing these things early and fast. 
um, at both at Boeing and at Ford, but this is the leaders that I see or when I meet them, this is where I encourage them to go to. So to hold a couple stances to, because every leader has this temptation. I mean, a parent, parents have this temptation. I just want to tell them because I said so, right? Like, I don't want to have to like go through the exercise of being like, because once we get there, it will be cold later. You'll need the jacket. I know you don't need the jacket now, but later it might be cold. Right? Like, uh, uh. I just want to say, put the jacket Take in. Take the fucking car. jacket. <laughs> yes. Okay. So here are the stances that I would suggest. So it's remaining a learner. So constantly be learning about your own organization, about your own influence, your own impact, your own decision-making, and be willing to constantly break that shit. This is the way I've always done things. Strike it from your vocabulary, from your mental model, whatever. Great leaders do this fast, often, all of it. Second one, um, distribute your power quickly. So the system, the organization, no matter what you do to distribute it, is going to want to pile it or consolidate it back to you. So they're going to want you to take responsibility for the decisions and the direction. They're going to want you to get set the direction and lead the way forward so there's a balance that you have to really be disciplined to strike that there's some of that that's your responsibility but there's a lot of that to distribute and then the third thing i'm really really pumping on right now both in my own personal leadership of my own firm and for my clients is invite people to take responsibility where they want to and can rather than feeling like you're benevolently giving them responsibility. It's like a subtle thing, but it's a power deal. It's if you allow people to take responsibility, they're exercising their own sense of power and you're not bequeathing your power to them. And it's a big difference. I mean, I can review my own leadership journey, the people who have led me well and the shitty leaders, that's, this is the difference. The difference of between whether they let me take responsibility or whether they like conferred it to me. The fact that and you use the word bequeath, I absolutely love. Uh, one of my favorite uh, favorite words that my brothers and I have used for years is be like, "Oh, let me bequeath this to you." <laughs> and, uh, it's it's uh, I I just haven't heard anybody use it in a conversation in so long that it actually warms my heart. Uh, Cheers to your brothers. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, but I mean, uh, you know, my dad was an English major. My, my you know, brothers oh. are all super sharp. So, and me as a rhetoric yep. major, like, to bequeath something to you is... Uh, yes. <laughs> bequeath upon well, it you. Can be, it can be great, right? It can be an honor, but it can also be super passive aggressive and like kind yeah. of dirty, right? Like, oh, I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to trust you with this uh, responsibility. And I, and I hope that when I come back, you're going to have done a great job. It can just feel really like shitty. Well, I mean, but is, isn't that like um, as a leadership style, treating people like little children opposed from like actually, uh, you know, you sit at the same table, have the same deal. Like there's no there's no head, even though ironically I'm sitting at the head of the table. Um, <laughs> yeah, but no. like the idea that, you know, everybody's an equal stakeholder in the success. And I think what happens is, is when, you know, people sit above and, you know, Here's your responsibility. I'm going to bequeath this to you, and I want you to do good because if you're a good little boy, you'll get this. I think right. that's just uh, extremely demeaning. Is that, I mean, yeah. is it a valid move, though, Kara? Does, like, is that a place to start for somebody? Because I'm thinking of junior folks I've worked with who, yeah. like, that's about the capacity they have is, like, to, you know, we're going to let you 
just watch this bowl of water, make sure it doesn't dry out. <laughs> you okay? stay here. Yeah, but and I make mean, sure that E doesn't leave. Or okay? well, but <laughs> or, I mean, don't you assess somebody's uh, capacity or their capability if they're if their capacity is that they can just watch water and make sure it doesn't go away, <laughs> then I feel like that's their capacity, and then you keep. We're not them talking there. about anyone specific. No, no, nobody specific. But I ideally, mean. you want people to continue <laughs> to grow, and you have to continue to stress them. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like if they cannot, uh, like, if they're not analytical enough to put the steps in front to, like, here's one thing, and now we're going to apply one to two and two to three, mm-hmm. then I don't think that they're a good fit, and then you have to get rid of them. At- and here's a quick way to intervene, to invite them to the table. So, John, I liked the way you said that earlier of, hey, we're all in on the stakes of this thing. Like, if it gets better, we're all in on it. Um, and a really quick way to do that, from child to board member, is quickly assess what are the jobs to do. Okay, of the jobs to do, who will take responsibility for what? Um, so, if jobs to do includes make sure water does not evaporate, refill water when it looks low. Okay. That's jobs to do. Who will take responsibility for that? If you have capacity or it's just beyond your capacity. Okay. I'd like to stretch. Okay. I'd like to stretch. I'd like to watch the water. I will take responsibility to refill it when it gets too low. Great. Kara, you're on it. We can celebrate that. It was a job to do. Someone's got to do it. You've got the capacity almost to get there. And then we can celebrate the accomplishment by holding you accountable, et cetera. Same with board members who will open up their network to million dollar donors. Anybody who can do this, who has the network, who's gracious enough to do it. It's a little bit beyond me, but okay, I'll take it. Great. So you can see how quickly assessing jobs to do and then inviting people to take responsibility for them is one way. Second, it's so totally layered because you're basically figuring out who's hungry. Like, who wants to jump on jobs to do? It tells you the energy or like, it's like a heat map. Like who at the table is hot and hungry? I love mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It's ultimately the same outcome, reframing the approach, right? And I guess the that would be the style of said leadership. Um, yeah, you just get a lot more responsiveness and a lot less eye rolling rather mm-hmm. than, all right, I've determined what jobs there are to do and I have given them out and now I will commence the bequeathing ceremony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Trumpets, right? please. Flags. Yes. <laughs> now, go on, scatter and do your business, right? It's just, the morning no, bequeathing. No, it's, no, <laughs> no, it's just, well, normally when something's bequeathed, you have to kneel. And, okay. then, and then they hand For it over sure. to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's so get usually a really <laughs> low table. Just get a low table. Everybody's uh, healing already. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, um, what's ironic is uh, if you've ever read anything about uh, Henry Ford's, uh, Henry Ford Jr., uh, who ended up running Ford back in the 60s, and I just watched the movie with him. And, um, oh, great movie. Um, Ford versus Ferrari? Yeah, yeah, Ford versus Ferrari and Carroll Shelby. Oh, yeah. And, okay, um, which was great. And actually, I went back and read a bunch on him, and he was very simple, like, that type of bequeathing, you know, like uh, he had these immense shoes to fill of his father and his father was, uh, you know, wasn't, I would say, the nicest, most, you know, fatherly individual. So he had these huge, huge uh, shoes to fill. And, uh, you know, whether or not he did it, I guess history will tell. But uh, super interesting seeing on, on how people treated him being, you know, obviously Henry Ford's son, but also mm-hmm. how he... Um, 
I guess, how he dealt with it. So the other interesting. Well, one. and what's really interesting is that legacy sort of continued and shifted because I, I get no commission on the Ford book, I swear. But, <laughs> but when Bill Ford, who's the grandson of the original Henry Ford, when Bill Ford took over Ford Motor Company, he was totally different, right? It was right after the 60s. He was definitely more of like a boomer kind of a leader. He wanted to change things up and you know make things more democratic and share the thing and not be so institutional or whatever. But he basically like came up against his own limitations and realized, God, I can't, I'm not gonna be able to transition this thing. And he, he realized it but he acted so early on that realization. He like very instantly was like, oh, there's the limit. I gotta go, we gotta get somebody better. We gotta get somebody better in here. And then they did this whole marketing around, he's not leaving because he sucks. He actually realized his own limitation and is bringing in a partner. And so like he stayed the chairman of the board because he had so much investment in it, but he brought in a leader who was more capable to do the things, the jobs to do. And there's like such humility in that because, I mean, he held the name, right? Um, and the, the entire company knew what was occurring, um, but that's what turned it around and made it great for the whole Ford family, which by then was generations of people hoping for nice windfalls, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, what is it like two or three generations and majority yes. of times like three generations to uh, see wealth disappear? Oh. Yes. Know, the- and it's usually because they won't distribute. They won't break break the mold or move or shift or invite others in to, to, to reimagine what's possible with what they have. And I think that's sort of a, compl- a complex version of jobs to do, right? Like, what do we have to manage? What's ours to, to really build a legacy from? Let's do it differently as we need to. And leaders, especially founders, are very reticent to do this. Mm-hmm. So, so on that, I want to go back to your three, like your three approaches and pieces to advice, Kara, on always be learning, right? If yes. someone hasn't, um, if someone's going to jump into there, is there like, sometimes you don't even know what to look for, what you're trying to learn, right? You're just like, all right, capacity, um, skirting the boundaries. All right, I'll sit down. I'll try to learn more. I don't, yeah. I don't know. There's so many resources. This, it's, yeah. It becomes static. Are there starting points? Are there expectations on what you can learn or what you should be looking for about your organization or your team or your family, right? And I, I guess I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, like all of this kind of applies to like family leadership as well. So I see John is raising his hand, but we, you don't have to. Oh, no, no, I'm probably just stretching or, uh, you know, I'm okay. trying not to punch you. Preach. Bequeath your thoughts. <laughs> I think um, we might have to so, go through a definition of bequeath. So no, Kelly, I need no, to it's, it's a, I know. I'll uh, bequeath you. <laughs> you just simmer down over there. Don't don't even bequeath across the uh, you know, across the face. Be careful how you use that word. Okay. Next. Okay. So the stance of learner, I think, is always be a learner is what I would say. So always be learning is yes, but always be a learner. And if people perceive that you are in that role, um, they'll respond really, like, really well to you. So um, it doesn't mean putting away your power. It doesn't mean putting away your authority. It doesn't mean laying down your role or apologizing for it. Um, 
you know, there's a leader, there's someone in the role and we have them there for a reason because their skills and passion are best suited to the jobs to do in that role. So I want to say that as a caveat, but always be a learner definitely has some ways of approaching it. So always be a learner about yourself and your patterns. So what are your usual defaults? What are your usual little trigger points? What are your usual, you know, bang up strengths? And when do you come in hot and strong? When do you withdraw and get small and contracted, right? That's be a learner about your own impact and your own reaction. Second, always be a learner about the people right around you. Always be ready for their patterns to be changing, for you to um, be willing to be surprised about how they might be growing and changing. And that starts, yes, with your spouse partner, but then your business partners, then your team, like the people right around you and your children. They're more, they're more and more capable every day people, lovers, children, team members, everyone be ready for them to, for you to have to learn about how they're changing. And then the other big one I would say is be a learner inside your organization or your machine. Um, and that is, who are we for right now? Who do we need to be for what's coming next? What are, be learning from your customers, be learning from your competitors, right? That's like a really interesting thing right now. I just read a couple things about you know, people reaching out to competitors and starting to really learn because it's better for the whole industry when competitors are teaching and like, you know, giving each other a little grist for the mill and back to those car dealerships. I mean, GM and Chrysler and Ford, they were meeting together to figure out how to deal with the unions. Um, they were direct competitors, right? They were reaching out to Toyota, they were reaching out to Mazda, they were re like they were figuring out what what are we doing in the industry? How do we help each other? So it's be a learner there. Don't get insular, right? We know this about physical performance too. If you get insular and you get contracted and like we're all doing around the fucking computers right now, like you just get hardened and you're no good. You're not flexible, you're not resilient in against injury, right? Like so you can use that metaphor to like get yourself opened up, open up, always be learning, torque it a different way, give yourself a little different resistance or angle. I mean, you guys are great at this stuff around physical performance and mindset. It's very similar for leadership, being a learner. Thanks, yeah, nailed it. Will that preach? Yeah, and then- No, that's great. And then going, <laughs> so going back and like- Why is it the whole time that Kara is speaking, uh, as she's speaking, all I'm doing is comparing and analyzing her words to my own life. And I'm thinking, where are Ooh. these shortfalls? So like, I, I like it, it's funny, every time I've heard you speak and at the symposium, whatever, I'm always yeah. like constantly listening to these words and analyzing them against myself. Well, I, I wouldn't call it shortfalls either. I, cause I do similar, I'm thinking opportunities, right? Like, I, I don't think like that. I don't think like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't think like that. I kind of do that. I could do that better, right? Well, this is how you earn respect. This is how you have earned my respect because that's the that's the condition for calling you a leader if you're willing to do that. If you mm -hmm. hear something that's foreign or you hear something that's edgy or like challenges you a little bit or something and it's tempted to sound make it sound like a shortfall and you just get after it. Like, I want that. 
yeah, that might break my shit. So that that's might, what I wanted to get to is break your shit, right? Like you say, that is like, you say that that's all the, next, the time. Make that the next mind. The sure. next mind. Well, okay. the fact that she uh, used the word poppin and you're the only person I've ever met that uses the word popping. I've bequeathed uh, poppin to her. <laughs> oh, you <laughs> could bequeath popper. Kara, uh, is there a difference between like, um, uh, I, I guess you could say like, a, um, like a, a leader and uh, like the person in charge, like I always think of like a leader is malleable, whereas like the person in charge is very rigid. Like I don't ever want to be the person in charge. Like, you know, in a leadership role, I feel like you're constantly learning and evolving and you're this malleable thing where it's like, and, and I'll tell you, we do this quite often where um, somebody asks me, and I, I have no problem telling people I don't know, where I'm yeah. like, I don't know, but we'll figure it out. Or uh, I'm, you know, uh, I didn't invent this. Uh, I'm not the expert, but like, you know, we're able to, you know, like, I just, I feel like it's disingenuous. And when I hear people that are leaders be like, well, I'm the expert on this, like, you know, nobody's done this before me. And they yeah. put themselves in this position of, of like, I don't know what the word is. Like, there's very, like, there's like no humility. And I'm actually thinking of one person in general. And I just, it always was such a turnoff to me. Like there was, you know, um, and I, you know, like whether it be the president of the United States or whatever, is there anything wrong with standing up there when somebody asks a question being like, I don't know, but I guarantee uh, I'll reach out to people that know how to do this. And, and But then why do people expect leaders to have all of the answers at all the times? I love this question because both answers are totally alternative to the other ones you're going to hear. So either I'm totally wrong, we need to break my shit, or we need to actually go have these conversations and push this envelope because... First off, why do we want leaders to have all the answers? Because we're afraid to take responsibility and be held accountable. And we've been taught that being wrong or failing at something by trying it is like somehow shameful and uncool and that we're supposed to be polished upon arrival. Um, so people want the leaders to do the work and they want the leaders to be accountable. So they want the leader to take all the responsibility and when it doesn't work for unforeseen forces like the economy or for their own personal feelings, we want to assassinate them, you know, metaphorically or literally for not doing it right. And then we're good. We'll just get a different leader. So that is prevalent. It's quite prevalent. And voters think like this, right? People in organizations think like this. Consumers think like this. Well, I buy it, but it doesn't matter whether it has an effect on the economy or not, or like the environment or not. Like, no, no, we're all in this. We're all complicit. Like, <laughs> so why do people want leaders to have the answer? Because they don't want to risk being accountable or having the consequences aimed at them. So how do you get um, people to be less lazy or resistant, you earn their respect by not having all the answers and inviting them to answer the questions with you. So you answered your own question to me, which is you don't want to have all the answers because then you've got all the accountability and it's, it's probably not going to work because the founder is the limit or the leader is the limit. And we don't ever want that. Right. So really the invitation has to be so strong and so sincere from the person in charge to join you in, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna answer this? How are we gonna get better? How are we gonna serve the industry, push the industry, you know, push our customers and have a lot of fun doing it in a way 
I mean, the last part of that is what's the difference? I think the first question was, what's the difference between a leader and the person in charge? And I would say some sort of relationship because a leader is willing to attend to the quality of relationship with the people all around them and the people that they serve um, and with the economy and with the environment and with their, right? Like they do a good job of this. Um, the person in the role of being in charge that if that person's willing to attend to those relational pieces, then I will call them a leader. Um, and if they're willing to distribute the decision-making and responsibility and, you know, God, it's just more fun to break shit together, right? And to answer for it and learn together, don't you think? I mean, you guys are, get in on this. This is your story. I, I guess, Kara, isn't there boundaries to the acceptability of I don't know, right? I'm, I mean, you you should know some shit that if you're an SME in it, right? Like if someone came up to John and they're like, John, why do we squat toes forward? And it's myself and Tex bequeathing to, to John. And John's like, you know, I don't know, but we're gonna figure it out. Like at some, uh, you should know the answer to well, that, Well, right? yeah, but that's something like within, like deep within our ideology. Like for example, uh, when we were years ago, I did this seminar at uh, mm -hmm. CrossFit Naperville and uh, there was a young kid in the audience who asked me a question that Bequeath. had to do with eating carbohydrates before they exercised uh, not being advantageous because of all of the floating insulin. Uh, blood sugar would go up, insulin would be high, and mm -hmm. would having excess insulin in the body going into a workout be detriment or mm -hmm. have detriment. And because of your ability to re like protein muscle synthesis, right? Yeah, I think like the idea that it blocks it. <clears throat> and uh, I had... It's really, and, it's really good question. Yeah, so they asked me this, and yeah. um, obviously I knew that they had been to the Whole30 seminar. Big where, Whole30 guy. Where they... Where they <laughs> genetic no, endurance athlete. Where they listened to most of Rob Wolf <laughs> and then put a seminar together that was about 10% really Rob Wolf and 90% fucking bullshit. Mm -hmm. um, so this young firebrand, uh, you know, just a young go-hard, just trying to make it even, uh, just trying to make it work, asked me this question. And I recalled the information, but I couldn't articulate it. I was like, man, um, I don't know. But I'll come back. Let me, let me go outside. Let me make mm -hmm. a phone call or do something. And I'll come back with the information. And I went out and uh, made a quick phone call to, you know, w one of my, you know, who wants to be a millionaire lifelines. And he berated yeah. me for, for forgetting about <laughs> non-media glucose uptake. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah. So I went back in. Obviously. And I was like, um, you know, to answer your question, there's this little thing called yeah. non-media glucose uptake that as you exercise, your body's blood sugar naturally falls. And it's how you control it for type 1, type 2 diabetics mm -hmm. and went through the whole thing. That's why type 1 diabetics, when they exercise, have to be very conscious the amount of insulin because of the non-media glucose uptake. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, but did that young firebrand, did he respect me less or more for the fact that I just didn't give him some bullshit answer, but I actually mm -hmm. said, you know what? I don't know, but I'll come back and I'll give you a, I'll fucking set your hair on fire in about 10 minutes. I can't remember you. I think you got, it was after Ralph had fried us with, uh, you know, 30 minutes of dead bugs at, at that point. No, no, I'm like, yes. So I understand that. And I understand like a technical tit for tat question and answer and like mm -hmm. lifeline and, and, and trade information but when it comes to like maybe a more complex yeah question, like setting like, priorities mm -hmm. or like setting a vision or um, something like that you mean but maybe but like is is there an effective way to say oh so john like i agree with you on that one yeah like i mean a lot of times 
when people ask questions, like it's really pretty fascinating. People rarely ask us huge concepts. Like I, right. um, and and I realize that the people that are attracted to that we perceive to be well, huge concepts, at least. Well, yeah, but um, <laughs> like people live in the minutia, and especially for something mm-hmm. like power mm-hmm. athlete, where I feel like so much of our ideology, or sorry, methodology, not ideology. I believe in mm-hmm. humanity, not ideology. Um, so much of our methodology and the core principles are very upfront, and so uh, you know, if somebody is familiar with us at all, the questions they ask are very, very specific questions. And sometimes I like I'll hear it and be like, man, like, you know, like the guy, for example, today, like asking about those workouts or this or, you know, the mindset. And I have to put myself back 10 plus years and remember the mm-hmm. moments which in which these things were created and what was going through my mind and what I've learned since then. And, uh, you know, I don't know. And I was kind of laughing, thinking about it as I was walking up to the house. Would I still have created those same workouts today that I created 10 years ago? Just talking about it makes me feel like I'm so sorry. People. <laughs> I'm so sorry for what the I The irony is like... People uh, fucking love it. Belt strap theory, but, like... Or belt loop. What was it called? Belt loop or belt strap? The pred- Remember we were talking about time travel and Terminator and John Connor being John Connor's dad? I forgot. I meant to look it up. Um, I'm but sorry, if you didn't Luke, make those I don't workouts, know. We would never yeah, be sitting here. Yeah, thank you, Jack. <laughs> right? So... The <laughs> butterfly effect. Yeah, the butterfly effect. Um, I think... As a, you know, in this constant kind of leadership role or you're sitting there looking and like, I, I think leadership too is an interesting statement because uh, like you, you know, you think about like Ford Motor Company in terms of leadership, you know, the leader provides vision and culture. So I'm going to create the vision and culture. If my culture is one of like accountability, then we're going to do accountability. I'm the one that's standing up, you know, let's say the proverbial leader is the guy standing up in the crow's nest looking for land, you know, or mm-hmm. is the guy on the, on the, uh, on the deck at the bow screaming up the dude in the crow's nest. You see anything, you right. know, like who do you want to be? And, uh, I think there's a really a lot of interesting leadership styles. There's, um, and the reason I, segmented between people in charge and leaders is because I've played for coaches who weren't leaders that were the person in charge. Mm-hmm. Don't ask any questions. Just do what I fucking tell you. Yeah. You know, and like this whole thing of, um, it's for me, uh, and you can, I don't know whether or not these guys disagree or agree. I'm big on like, Hey, this is where we're going. This is the mindset. Like you can ask me anything. And, and if I don't know, I'll be like, man, I don't know, but I'm gonna think about it and mm-hmm. I'll come back to you with an excuse or not an excuse, but an answer. And I always think that people in charge just give excuses like, hey, I'm in charge. I'm writing your check. Do what you're fucking told. Don't ask me questions. Do your shit. And yet provide no direction, no vision, no culture. And you're like, dude, you're creating a toxic culture. And I saw this on football teams. Um, That's where I coined the in absence of true leadership, false prophets appear, you know, and uh, it's the idea of like. You know, are you the guy that just writes the checks? Are you the, uh, you know, and I always think about royalty like this, you know, like why is the queen of England, the queen of England? Because uh, a couple generations before her, somebody slipped the throat of the last king of England. You know, they married into it and how this whole thing, like they didn't do it. Like the, the royalty hasn't done anything to earn that fucking spot other than just luck. Be Chan- the, yeah, uh, chance, yeah they won the genetic lottery. They just happened to get, you know, shot out of a hole. That was somebody who was a royal shot out of a hole, hole. <laughs> you know. Like it, I it, love it. it. Yeah, and um, I fucking hate royalty for this idea well, that, that that somebody is going to deem them royalty because hundreds of years ago, mm-hmm. uh, one of their ancestors slipped the throat of the last dude. Like that's all it is. It was people that now that guy was royal because he had the balls to fucking seize and stab somebody in the back and kill him mm-hmm. or war and do this. And then all of a sudden his his progeny go on and now you have, they roll around and you know with tiaras and this and gold carts. Like it feels so disingenuous. I'm like, you know what? Every year the royalty should have to prove they're royal in a yeah. fucking sword match. 
now we're talking or like clubs or battles or a joust. Like prove like prove your medal. But even and, the royalty, um, they would have their best uh, soldiers joust, right? No, like well, well, no. So like, hey, uh, the, I, I will gladly or fight. Or I will gladly fight hand to hand with uh, Prince Charles. Yeah. any of the royals, I'll fight him to the death, one on one, and then. Uh, you Prince Charles. Uh, Prince Charles, you are Prince by Charles, who's, who's by the other one? Um, uh, Harry. Yeah, uh, Harry, and then what's the other kid? William, I think. Well, yeah, William. William I'll fight, William I'll, I, I will fight all them to the death, and if I win, I get to be the king of England. Tech, serious question. All at once. And, and then you know all what? And then, the, and then the very next day, as soon as I was king of England and I kicked that old bird off the throne, you know what I would do? I would burn the motherfucker to the ground, and I would give all the money. I would just be like, let's burn this thing. This is fucking antiquated. Um, but How me, dare you, John? Oh, dude, I hope Harry Heppenstall is listening to this. There's no way. Uh, no. Dude, uh, but and we're going to have people in the, in the UK that are like, oh, the, the royalty. I'm like, dude, it's, it's for the same reason uh, <laughs> that like, I don't like, I told you guys today, I don't like the idea of a single person as president of the United States. Mm-hmm. I don't like the idea that there's just one person that we elect that gets to make these decisions. I think it should be uh, a group of like extraordinary individuals that come together to lead us in direction because unfortunately one person doesn't have the answers. And mm-hmm. if we want one person to where the buck stops because, or it's because of tradition or for whatever reason, if we do want it to be one person, let us elect a one person who will lead by listening to people who know what they're talking about, who will break their own shit who will say, I don't know, but I will get a better answer, who, you know, like to a limit. But to your point, Luke, you know, that person has to, at the end of the day, that person's got to hold the role, right? They've got to keep their authority. So we're paying them to do a job, which is filter through all of the subject matter expertise, filter through all of the, you know, information and data and inputs, and then give us a way forward, lead us forward. And the best people who do this, we believe that they have done that. We believe that they've integrated everything they don't know, everything that everyone has shared with them or knows better than them. We believe that they're actually a learner and willing to, you know, punch their own bias in the face. Like if we believe that about them, then we will go the direction that they set, right? So if you guys believe this about John, that, that this is what he's going to do. He's going to say, I don't know, but I'll get you the right answer. But he's still going to lead you forward, right? He's going to do both of those things. Um, if he's willing to be wrong sometimes and other times he's willing to say, no, this is the methodology and we're going to move forward, right? If you can trust him for both of those things, you'll respect him and follow him, right? Like he's fulfilling his end of the leadership contract or whatever. When the president doesn't do that, right, stops listening to people, stops seeking other opinions, starts to sound repetitive, right, like sound familiar. I don't know. You know, like when those Kruger, it's the Dunning Kruger that that, that, that gets me. Um, yeah. like, um, but but I've actually come to the conclusion that to be president and to be what is viewed as a leader, like the perception of leader, especially in this Internet kind of social media age, I feel mm-hmm. like the Dunning Kruger effect is really the, the vehicle for it. You have to stand up there and, re- and repetitively talk about, I'm the greatest. Nobody knows more about this. I'm the smartest person. I don't know. I disagree with that. Uh, I think people, well, you, you can I disagree, mean, but I think that's, had, that's what's happening. Well, right? Mm-hmm. They've, they've held the authority. They haven't put that down. But they've also like very publicly integrated like what they learned or who influenced their 
you know, decision or their priorities, right? Um, and and those people, you know, I mean, presidential history is so interesting, right? You could debate it like all night long and there's like cool master, I want to take the master class that's out right now in presidential history, right? Okay, it's fascinating. Oh, is there one about presidential history? Yeah. Yes. Oh, there Who it's teaches awesome. it? Uh, her name is Mar- Margaret... I can't remember her last uh, name. But of any president, who would you want to sit and ask, like, all the questions to? This is something I think about all the time. Like, what kind of questions, John? Leadership questions or CIA open it up <laughs> questions? Yeah, crack it open. George <laughs> Bush Sr. would be the guy that I would be like, dude. Because oh, you got Venezuela oil. Yeah, you got Skull and Keys, head of the mm-hmm. CIA, oh, yeah. pre- the vice yeah. president to Ronald Reagan, president. I, Plus, dude, he got to know everything that W like yeah. was going through, right? You know, oh, yeah. he knew all that seats stuff right behind Astro's home plate. Uh, I, I do. <laughs> he, he to me, uh, like this, like his, like so when he passed away. I got super tweaked on like just following like the whole trail and like, you know, he goes here and then he comes to Texas, he gets in the oil business, Venezuela oil, which becomes this huge front and like the Iran Contra deal where they're, I mean, uh, like such cool, like. I just want to know. Like, just tell me. Just open book. Give me everything. I'll pour you a bourbon. That's a good one. Oh, and, good and he'd drink it. Oh, so yeah. it was a causal loop. So I, I deep dive. And by deep dive, I'm just half-assed internet research. All the different types of time travel theories and paradoxes. And a yeah, causal great. loop is the yeah. plot of Terminator. In which the future cannot happen unless... The events future, of the past. The, yeah. The person no, no, no. goes back in his in time. Um, yeah, oh. the past can't happen unless a future event occurs in which that they're going causing back the past. Mm-hmm. Back and there's to a bunch the future. Of mm-hmm. Yeah, back to the future. Well, that's mm-hmm. a different paradox. No, then that, you that would be the same paradox, wouldn't it? Because you're going back. But then the the past happened. Like his parents fell in love, and Marty McFly was made. But then they well, went back. But that past. when he was, but don't you remember because he was turning invisible when he but was up if there Marty McFly was, if his parents never got married, uh-huh. he would disappear. Right. No, no, no. But if they never got married in like the original life timeline that he was living, but then he went back and effed it up. So then he had to cause other things to get the the timeline in line, which ended up changing for the better for the McFlies. Yeah, because he knocked Biff but out. But it's different than the truck. different the theory. Calendar, now we're talking. Yeah, different theory that? than Terminator because... <laughs> Are yeah, you really John Connor says... No, no, he is really I, thinking hard. You I don't think you've ever seen these movies. He's breaking his <laughs> shit sir. right now. No, sir. you're steaming. You're steaming, baby. You're a red light. I don't think you've ever seen these the CPU is overheating over here. <laughs> Your neural net processor. Well, if you if you didn't wear a heavy, thick polyester shirt that was made in Australia, oh. we had a themed podcast this morning. Just begun. Well, no, I, I ordered these from New Zealand's. They were the bl- the blanks for the All Blacks, and they cost me a fortune. And Texas is still rocking oh. it, yeah, like, like ten years later. Yeah, ten years ago. Yeah, well, in our morning, Kara, we have a morning podcast. Okay. And it was just remembering a few awesome workouts oh, from this old so school you're program. Being nostalgic yes, by wearing yes. this shirt. Oh, I get oh, it now. That's, that's right. mm-hmm. that is sweet. Thoughtful, thoughtful that McQuilkin. I'll tell yeah. you. Well, your first question, Luke, about like if we could go back or if we were starting this right now, 
Mm -hmm. right? Like, would we, it tagged on to John's question, like 10 years ago, I wrote that workout, you know, what would I do differently now? Whatever, like you guys should answer that question live. Like if you were to start it all again, what would it look like? Like, what would you do? What would be the priorities? What so, would be and the we had, so we did have a similar question to this, Kara, on this morning podcast we've been doing uh, during this lockdown because we just want to keep pushing content out that was not COVID-related and stuff. Just give people an, hopefully a, um, an a reprieve from yeah. everything, right? And I think we did. I got a lot of good Bequeath feedback. them with an outlet. Bequeath all day. Yes, thank um, you. How benevolent of you. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, anyways, long story short, they asked, yeah. uh, they asked the question, three things you changed yeah like you three pieces of advice the young version of you would actually listen to i thought oh. that was pretty uh okay pretty interesting because like and i was hesitant to like go to very technical pieces because of i guess maybe the the fear of the butterfly effect and like what what track does that change and i like i'm pretty happy with where we're at and like the big inflection points in my life so i'd be hesitant to do anything that would significantly alter that you know what i mean so that was really hard exercise for me because as careful with like, what advice? That, that is the grandfather paradox, Luke. Oh, thank you, thank Ooh, you. Look who's schooling up. <laughs> I know, time travel expert over here. Ah, uh, he's looking well, at Wikipedia. That's so not like, fucking something to woo over, woo girl. <laughs> you know how hard it is to find Wikipedia. <laughs> it's it's usually the first thing. They need awesome. funding. They need send them funding quick. <laughs> I hope they go out of business. So I guess what would be interesting is like, why would you change anything? Like, would you change stuff about at least about well, football? And I, would, I would push you, though. I would push you mm -hmm. to say whatever you have learned, are you really integrating it? Mm -hmm. Like, you may have learned something, but check. we could check ourselves on if we have big learnings, if we have big things, you know, insights, whatever. Like, are we honestly living them? Have we really integrated them well as if we're starting with that knowledge? Mm. I think you should, uh, I think it'd be really interesting if like, as you went through life, um, do you remember that movie, uh, Memento, where the dude, oh, like yeah. every night he went oh, to bed yeah. and he's like, Christopher Nolan, and, uh, he, he forgot and he started tattooing everything's on his, on his body. So oh, you yeah. remember, I feel oh, like good. our major mistakes should be tattooed on they our body. Are, so for that, some of us. <laughs> yeah. That's a <laughs> My tribal armband here. And you're, <laughs> <laughs> and you're a beachy tattoo. Well, I don't know if that was a mistake. No, that was a, that's a feather in the cap, my man. Uh, but like. Uh, I constantly like uh, you guys have heard me like I've made some what I consider some really poorly tactical errors in my life mm -hmm. and I constantly play them like a Rolodex when I'm a po when I'm like put in a similar situation I'll be like I know how that one goes I know that that plate's hot I'm not gonna fucking grab it again so I sometimes wonder if like the the fear of remaking a mistake actually reduces the speed at which decisions are made um, but then I yeah. also think that like, you know, if you do make a mistake, like what is unfixable? Like, <sighs> like if you do make a mistake, like what's an unfixable, like I was kind of thinking mm -hmm. like, um, you know, we fucking went all in on a, on the stuff we did for the U S military and Texas national guard. Mm -hmm. And like, we sunk a ton of time and effort and work into that, that didn't come out the way that we thought it was. But in hindsight, think about how much we learned it from that process. I mean, think about like how much we moved forward and how like all of a sudden when that happened, we pivoted and went in this direction and doing this. I honestly wonder um, if that the potential of, you know, going in and writing programming and doing training for really, you know, what was it like about one third of the U.S. military? I mean, that actually 
started mentally pushing me in a direction where I thought about Power Athlete as a global brand. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, like here, here we are as this, you know, kind of, you know, uh, niche kind of uh, strength conditioning performance based company. And now all of a sudden we're in a situation where, you know, we're going to become this global brand based off of, you know, the methodology and the core values in which we have created over this course of time. And for me, that was validation, you know, and then to, to go to the mat and be like, we're going to chase this motherfucker and run it down until we kill it. And then, you know, obviously uh, things didn't work out the way, not because of something we did, but because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's too many moving pieces on their side to be able to do something to be that agile. Uh, but I think that piece was important. And even though uh, I don't view anything like, I try not like to view mistakes. I like the years ago I read, you know, the only things you regret are the things you didn't do, not the things you did. You know, you never want to have like the what if, and I'm glad there wasn't a one if with that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the idea of like, I hate that people only feel like they can learn from mistakes. I feel like you learn from your victories. You learn from your mistakes. Like, you know, but unfortunately, um, you know, a smart man learns from the mistakes of others, mm -hmm. but unfortunately, or, but in our situation, People hadn't done this before, so we didn't necessarily have a blueprint and a model. So we went out and created it, and we bring in the smartest people. So I, um, as I was going through the you whole mistakes. Check, you can gut check that, too, of is what we learned from that big push. Did, do we, did we get as, as much as we could out of that piece of learning? Um, sometimes the learning stops at, well, we know what not to do, or we know where not to go or we know where to stop ourselves or, you know, well, I guess we learned that failure is an option and that we can keep going. You know, it's like if, if the learning stops there, then you just haven't gotten like the full meat, like the full you all you got was like the, some juice out of the thing. So how do you push it past that to say there's more learning there? There's more learning there. Like we can integrate more of that. And like the technical developmental way of thinking about this is, you, you hold on to the, the learning, the experience, but then you transcend it, but you still include it. You don't throw it away, right? You don't like toss it. You're going to, you're going to transcend it, but you, you, you hold on to it. And that's, that's hard for leaders to do. It's hard for teams to do. It's much easier to be like, wow, well, you win some and you lose some, and we know better now how to win some and not lose them, you know, but it's like that that's not the richest learning that can come out of a big fail or a big push that just didn't come home. So I think that's a nice gut check too, is have we fully integrated the learning that we got from that massive fall or, you know, whatever, whether it was out of our control or not, mm -hmm. did we get as much as we could from that? That's interesting. And then like, what, so what does that exercise look like? Well, that's a quick question that. because I think the answer is always no. We have not. What happened to our egos? What did it teach us about relationships and partners, based, like external partners, right? It's going to influence whether you're conscious of it or not. It's going to influence the way you make the next partnership decision. It's going to, like you say, it's either going to teach you don't touch hot plate or it's going to teach you when hot plate is presented, perhaps a glove may be required to handle hot plate. So it's like, how, how many layers are you willing to really, you know, learn from? And you can answer that question pretty fast. Have you learned everything you could possibly learn and capture from that experience with building that program for the military? You've, so. you've got a great visualization of this on your Instagram at developmental coach. So compliments to your whiteboard ability. Hey. 
Mm-hmm. It almost looks like it's a computer graphic, but it's so no. well written. And I've seen it in real time, and it's well, she has impeccable penmanship. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So it, it is the image well, in which you show the learning zone. So uh, on our y-axis on this graph, you have system stress constraints yep. outside your control. In our x-axis, you have learning, application, and practices, and what you've deemed the learning zone. So when mm-hmm. stress and constraints increase, you have the mm-hmm. opportunity to expand and increase your learning zone with them. Yes. Yeah, there's so many benefits there because if people feel like we're learning from what we're going through, they are more likely to keep going through it with you. So <laughs> like that's, you know, what's what John's describing, like, you know, what are we learning? What what do we mm-hmm. need to learn? Like what do I not yet know or what what do I know but I can't go recall for you? Like this that if I believe that that's where you're at as a leader, I am more likely to listen to you and, and go in the direction that you set for me. If I think that we're working with some sort of fixed like programming or something that's like jamming up against what we're going through and we're not iterating or we're not, this is not um, updating at all. Ooh, I'm going to, I'm going to start to disengage. That's, that's what we find about teams and partners and right, followers. Wait, so, so tell me about how that graphic like hits you guys. Like where, where is the, the, the constraint and the stress and how are you like pulling into learning? Hang on. We got to do a little share here. Oh yeah. I mean, every so, system is constrained right now for sure. Right. So a fast thinking while they're checking out the graph from my perspective, we have a visualization of the application of this this program. So we have a brief understanding of the population in which our tool will be applied to. And yep. then we have in our mind, this is how we're going to pitch, explain, and introduce to leadership. But then leadership applies a fixed mindset or gives us a hard no, or this won't work. So then we enter in this learning zone. Okay, we understand the population, we understand the problem, we understand strength and conditioning, training, movement. How now can we take this understanding to then present to this fixed mindset in an attempt to get them to see our perspective? Learning zone. Yes. And what's distinctive about your ability to do that? Mm-hmm. Like the three of you, what's, what are the distinctives about you guys that make you killers at this? Mustaches. For one. Yeah. Uh, I guess the, the experience, experience in publishing that, like the technical components of the system, understanding what the constraints are. Like, I guess we've done it. We have a breadth of experience doing it. Mm-hmm. And I guess at a, at a wide bandwidth as well um, would be my, you know, the, maybe the best kept secret of power athlete is it's just three of us. In this no, little there's, room, there's a little more people. Well, among you know, yeah. there are dozens of contractors. Yeah, we use a lot of contractors for our mm-hmm. stuff. But and, I would you know, say, Harry, like, uh, you know, oh, Harry, yeah. you know, Harry and Callie and like mm-hmm. the people mm-hmm. that are associated. Uh, you know, if we could have all those people here, it'd be even more epic. Sure, but sure. unfortunately, people live in other ways, mm-hmm. so it doesn't reduce our, you know. And then we think about all of our partners and whatnot. But it's, uh, I think, the idea of like staying agile has always been very important. 
Yeah. Uh, what I get kind of nervous with is where things become like, you know, you're trying to turn a battleship. I want to be able to pivot and move and be able to go in different directions and have people that are, you know, uh, flexible enough to be able to, oh, that's not what I do. Like, you know, the age old, uh, I always think about the guys that designed the motors on drafting tables at Navistar. And then they're like, hey, we're going to bring in computers. And they're like, we all quit. Mm-hmm. You know, so like that and idea where you, you're not so fixed in and rigid that you can't be able to kind of move and, and uh, as opportunity arises. I feel that like, uh, you know, um, you either adapt or you die. Well, and your method actually plans for and counts on the fact that constraints are going to arrive, right? So it does physically, it does. It's like, hey, how many constraints can you perform within? Okay, we'll give you a little more constraint then. No worries. A little more resistance. Cool, because you'll level up to meet it, right? So that's actually embedded in your model. So some economic constraint, some viral, literally viral virus constraint arrives to your business, you have it embedded in your own methodology to work within constraints to see that constraints actually level up performance. So you're, you're especially poised to actually talk like this, right? So, I mean, when you present to fixed mindset people, right, this is going to sound foreign to them, but you're going to have all of these illustrations, give all these stories, they're physical stories of bodies changing and athletes performing, but they're also business stories of how you three have driven forward through constraints, using the constraints to actually level yourselves up. I mean, the story about the thing with the military training deal, like ripe, ripe, ripe story, rich story to talk to someone who is facing constraints in their business who feels like what they were chasing is has just evaporated and there's no way through, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they face agility or death, right? Like your story about doing that is, is so powerful. There's so much for them in that. And I would say also the style, the distinction of your style is that you guys are really real and you are not like slickster, schmoozer, shyster guys. So that is literally like one of the only reasons why I'm on the phone with you, right? Like only reason that's why the only I reason that we're not slime oh, balls. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, not being slime balls. That's criteria one. Yeah, uh, I'm, I don't disagree with that. Uh, like, one. well, uh, dude, one. <laughs> it always goes back to that thing, like authenticity. You know, honesty, yeah, authenticity, yeah. and it's. Um, I think it's really easy to fool people for a short period of time, but to be able to fool people for years, you got to either really to, a, you're either a sociopath or you're an honest person. To to connect what I'm hearing from Karen, what John just brought up the authenticity actually we had maybe that was a couple years ago year and a half i'm not sure when we wrote the program for them but with the covid we were able to then utilize the tools in which we presented that were then Mm -hmm. not necessarily uh primary constraint of the u.s government they're they're forward people have no gym equipment and still need to train every single day. And okay. we cool. wrote a program, uh, not only their training programs, but one of them was an austere program that we presented that would have actually been the perfect solution for the U.S. military if they had had the foresight to not fuck it up. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, they'd be in a situation now, they'd be like, oh, people, don't worry, we have uh, internet, or we, we have access, you know, this. I mean, all of these things were put together years ago, like a couple years ago, Without like, and then what happened when this rolled out? We just, you know, changed the titles and launched Pressed it up. Play, yeah. And On uh, third monkey rep, for our listeners, that third rep monkey was like a ten x rep. Like 
Yeah. It was a rep that equaled zero for a while, mm -hmm. but like it's 10x. Well, I don't know what X it is right now. I hope it's 100x. Like it's well, awesome, but like it's a huge rep for you and it's a transcendent include and it's also this business story and it's this whole thing, right? Like, and you guys will utilize that because you're authentic people, because well, you know how to tell your story. You know how to sort of open up your chest and be like, here's us, right? Uh, we hope you level up too, because this is where we're at. Um, the only people we associate with are the people willing to do this too. You know, come on, let's do it. <laughs> well, I mean, and we're, we're also seeing a really interesting changing of the landscape, especially with, you know, what we've seen within quarantine. And now, you know, people are kind mm -hmm. of, you know, putting weights in their homes and in-home training. And then we just saw, you know, uh, Gold's Gym is now filing for bankruptcy. So, yeah. you know, are they going to be able to restructure? What does it look like? I mean, now the kind of the landscape that people are going, you know, I'm hoping to go back to, you know, when this ends, I can't wait to go back to the gym. Well, assuming the gym will be there. Yeah. And then what does that look like? And then, you know, you think about, I mean, how many CrossFit gyms? I think 45, I think I saw the number the other day, 45 CrossFit gyms have closed their doors permanently and are not going to reopen. Mm -hmm. And dude, think about Just this too. Like, and first yeah. off, this is not to belabor what I, what, what I thought was a fruitful conversation yesterday with like the mask and the adverse, like people are just averse to this mask thing. And that's just to like literally go pump your gas and pay your so bills. Luke and Let I, alone have to go into a gym. Imagine if you're, if you're like, Hey, you want to go do Johnny Wad? Just some backstory. Luke okay. and I have been uh, uh, debating the use of masks, like, you know, okay. as a, as an idea to, to slow the spread of Yeah. As like an COVID. effective and of which yep. my, my thought is they're super cheap. It's really not super intrusive. If it makes people feel better and it doesn't even do anything, I think I'd be, I'd still be willing yeah, to like, do it. And, and I, if my joke was, uh, if it removes people's bad breath and sour looks, I'm all for it. But like, don't think that like <laughs> the t-shirt. I have to smile at people that I'm not happy to see. Yeah, I'm right. good. like, like yeah. the t-shirt wrapped around your face isn't going to like, you know, uh, so, and the statistic I brought up mm -hmm. is that the, the smallest hole that your eye can see like in a shirt uh, mm -hmm. is like 0.1 millimeters, um, 100,000 COVID uh, or coronaviruses can fit in there. That's how small they are. So like, uh, it, like mm -hmm. it's really not doing like a, um, you know, unless you had like an N95, yeah, so like, a, like right. actual like mask that's designed for this, but just a t-shirt around the face. And then people are like, oh, it's reducing the droplets. I'm like, but that's just one way. Like there's other ways to get it. So it's just removing. And mm -hmm. so Luke's like, well, what, you know, what if we're both wearing it? So we just been kind of, not arguing back and forth, but just taking thought, some thought, like yeah, yeah, debating challenge. But the point is, there is there are people are just averse to this idea, right? Like from my understanding, I don't want to have to wear a mask. It's an infringement on my freedoms or something like that. Um, now that's an extreme. That's an extreme. I understand that's not the the total perception of this, but that's an extreme. But it is kind of like a. I don't really. I look dumb. It's kind of inconvenient. Blah blah blah. But imagine if the only way you could exercise is with rubber gloves and a mask. Like people aren't gonna go to the fucking gym no. to wear rubber. Sorry, dude. F bomb gym. I went to Home Depot. Like and so, I, they're gonna be like, would I rather? And it's really not that hard of an ask. I get yeah. it. But people just don't want, don't want to do it. Would I rather do that, or would I rather just spend two thousand dollars to build a, my own gym in my own garage and train at my convenience in my facility without having to deal with donkeys? I mean, so yeah. I, I went to Home Depot, oh, yeah. and uh, they are not requiring people to wear masks, but they are requesting people. <laughs> so as I go in, uh -huh. I have yeah. the band and tied around my face mm -hmm. and I come in there and I was like, give me the money. Just yeah. joking around, which they didn't think was funny. Um, but like, uh, you know, and you're walking around, Did they give you the money. No, I didn't <laughs> give the money. Uh, but then you're seeing people walking around with their own makeshift masks, oh, yeah. like bandanas, yeah. you know, t-shirts, 
my personal favorite is the guy with ace bandages around his face. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was a real weird one. Um, but like, I, you know, and like, I think if it gives people uh, a, a sense of security, even though it probably is false, it gives them a sense of security to get back out there and start living their lives in a meaningful way. I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, I just well, have a hard time fucking lying to people for the for their own good. Like, I want people to have all the information to make their own decision. But then again, is that really a smart? Play? I don't know. Well, and what really the the really big question is, what's the smart play if you have a business that's affected by people having to come there and wear masks or not or what? Are you going to require it or not? Or is you gonna, are you going to make enough money if they don't come in or, right. you know, like, so this is what you we're talking about gym owners, right? Like, it's what gym owners are facing. And it's interesting to watch the industry, right? Like you and I, we all know these people, right? We know the gym owners. You guys know them really well. I know a handful of them well, and some of them are my clients, right? So, you know, yesterday or day before, I was talking a client through, you know, who owns a CrossFit gym, one of them. What do I do? What's my team expect from me? That's what do my customers expect from me? What am I doing in my community? How, who do I want to have been? During this time as a gym owner in X community on the East Coast or whatever, you know, like put it in perspective and figure out what is what is being asked of you, what's the requirement and how will you fulfill it? And then how will you sort of reflect on it later? And that drives you towards this sort of like non-reactive, but more responsive, like Mm -hmm. adaptive thing. I mean, I'm obviously like totally loyal over at Deuce. So like I'm a Delta Bravo member, right? Like I pivoted, like I can't go to my gym, but you know, I don't own 50 pound dumbbells at home, but like I joined, you know, Delta Bravo. I'm going to give it my best fucking shot. You know, (laughs) my husband does jujitsu. He's in our, he moved all the furniture out of one of our rooms. He bought a jujitsu mat online, right? He's got a dummy with the gi on the thing. And he's like, arm bar, (laughs) weird, whatever, right? Like we're all laughing at him, but he's on practice. He's adjusting, he's pivoting. So his, I can hear his guy like yelling at him, Matt, do your arm bar, you know, you guys, we got to stay up. You guys, you know, it's like really awesome. But so we watch people can pivot and other people wither. And, yeah. you know, there's a, there are practices in place and you guys are, you know, specifically poised and ready because of the reps you put in before mm-hmm. without any, you know, outside force. You did it by choice. So it's in your practice. This sounds like I'm, I'm back to your Instagram whiteboards. I'm a big fan. Okay. Para, <laughs> parallel questions. Luke sto- or, sorry, Texas stalking you over here. He's just going nice. through your whole Instagram. I, oh, I, I, can't value. I celebrate a whole collection. Him. I can't value Kara's. I support him. Yeah, he, I stalked Stalk him away. before he stalked me. <laughs> coach, John, <laughs> coach needs a coach, sir. So this sounds like parallel <laughs> questions. Yes, bring An it. Ex- example, the whiteboards that you presented, what do I need to lead now? As well mm-hmm. as thinking, what do I need to lead next? So that's an example of what I'm hearing, Kara, provide our listeners now. Do you know what the most impressive part of that picture? What's that? I don't know. The perfectly what? arranged markers at the bottom that run the entire <laughs> distance with a rainbow. Like that part, like that, like the the fact that she looked back and she's like, you know what this needs? Needs all the markers. So it um, provides listen, a border. I, like your vision of perfection may be different from mine, but it's not really <laughs> spectrum sequenced. So that was my big put. That's why I didn't like the picture. 
Because oh, it should be red, okay. orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Uh, it yeah, should. Sorry, it's you, all right. I knew it wasn't intentional. But we didn't if you do notice, it just to she's going from me. darkers to lighter. So you see the blue oh, and the she, red, which we know are the same family. And then it goes to a lighter green and orange. Much, you're mm-hmm. way too I know. Much. We're just basically <laughs> finding obscure things to be funny about. So this is, but, we're doing. Our, this is our stick. Yeah. To, to clarify, too, I want to make a point. I was talking specifically, because as you start talking Deuce and CrossFit gyms, that's to me is different. So I'm talking specifically like the Gold's environment, yeah. the big box gyms, because going tying this back to opening up, yeah. uh, the things that these micro gyms do provide to many of their clients, not all, so they're going to see some loss, is what we said, the deep desire for belonging. And it's the community component of being a member of those gyms, which is why our gym owners, the overwhelming, like, common theme when we were pointing, like, providing content, Kara, whether it was yours or Train Heroics or our own, is, like, be valuable. Know what your people value in its community. Go out and just care. If you just care, that should put you in a pretty good place on the other end of this. Like, will it solve everything? No, you're going to need more technical... uh, advice but that should be the foundation of it right um so i do want to say that to any like the gym owners out there i'm not painting doom and gloom for you this is a prime opportunity for the micro gym owner especially one who can pivot and straddle the what deuce has also done here is like this semi-remote semi-in-person new business model that i think is going to crush it like if these micro gyms can pivot to a a less frequent in-person group style training have a trainer base that can go do remote small group on-premise training at people's new home gyms and provide them with at-home training should they not be able to book with a remote coach or get their time slot in the gym because we have limited capacity, you provide the online training. And you bundle that and you just solve all the all of it and you do really, really good at it, I think you're gonna be in a really great spot. And that's that is where I think the next like the next phase of this micro gym is going. Um and like I think that's where a lot of the folks, at least in the power athlete paradigm, are, are, are ready to pivot to. So Well, and you're talking about adding those initial things we were talking about that people really want to be fanatical about, which is we're here for each other. We're here to break each other's shit. We're here to be real. We're here to belong to something. And it's each other, right? It's not just a brand. It actually is each other. So it is a relationship that I'm basing this on. And the same is true when power athlete promises like amazing content at the symposium. Okay. You deliver on that, but you also deliver on an opportunity to build these relationships, to let people be in a place where they can be authentic, accountable, right? Like where that is normal to say, I'm trying to break my shit and level up my performance. This is who I am. Um, and you are, you're like that too, like, <laughs> great, let's do it. Right. So if gyms can offer their offering in the new way and they can hold on to the thing that people really need, which is connection, community, belonging, those kinds of things, then you're right. I think, I think they're going to be successful, but, um, yeah, it's, it's intriguing. I'm, I'm, I'm at an interesting job. I feel a little bit like a first responder because all of the people that I coach are usually in that CEO, COO type of a role. Um, And they are suffering because they're making big and difficult decisions about relationships with people um, and people's livelihood, Um, not just their own, but, you know, 
the the teams that they represent. And so this is, I mean, it is, it's a, it's a difficult time for sure. So Kara, I want to circle in on, again, I, I started to get in there and we probably got into time travel talk with movies, but break <laughs> your shit, right? Because yeah. I want, I, you know, two questions and I'll let yeah. you just kind of go. Cause I think you'll get it. Number one, can you do it by yourself or do you need somebody else? And number two, if you're, this is the first time you're getting into this space, what are you going to, what do you, what should you expect out of it? Short term, long term. Okay. Well, you guys are going to be able to join in here as illustrations for this. So because I've talked with you about this, but, um, so can you do it by yourself? Um, if you are courageous enough to ask the question, do I always show up the way I want to show up? Do I do what I say I want to do? Am I the person that I believe that I ought to be, right? Like if you are courageous enough to ask any version of any of those questions, you are off to a lifetime of work. So can you do this yourself? <laughs> yes, you can. Um, there's a level of self-awareness there. Um, and the ability to sort of hold steady in the mirror that's difficult and that's where other people come in um the people who love you and want more from you become the mirror that you practice these questions in so before you ever say what do you think about me right that's really a, a quick temptation for people i'm gonna get better i'm gonna go around and be like hey how can i get better yeah what do you think what's good for me you know where's my potential what do you see you know like, the the deep internal personal first person work that's where that be this that other kind of work gets really authentic if people believe you've already done it so you show up really solid you show up really dense not hollow um then people will be willing to reflect back with you but it starts with you so can you do it on your own yes should you do it on your own yes should you also involve others yes <laughs> the, the spoiler alert there is of those three questions for example that you laid out yeah. um the exercise is kind of to say no right and then dig and go why or where what specifically or what generally and yeah. like uh it, it, you just it's heavy is how yeah. I guess I would describe it. And then like, you got to be prepared to act on it with, with no, literally it feels, it'll probably feel like the hardest shit to do, but no one around you really even notices or cares until like maybe 90 days, two years down the road. And they're like, huh, how about that? Yeah. Right. And really the typical tactics that self-help books or a lot of the like whatever webinars that are being offered right now, um, I have a really alternative stance to those things. So goal setting, um, time management, uh, form new habits, break old habits, like all that kind of stuff. That's really like positive psychology, heavy, optimistic, reach for the thing, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, my my best practice at breaking my own shit is figuring out what the obstacles are going to be either the ones that are always my obstacles to getting better or the ones that I could predict are probably going to be. And if I make a plan for those, if I live as if those are possible, um, I'm much more likely to actually change my habits. I'm much more likely to actually improve or to change my own thinking because I'm ready for 
any like come at me, bro, is what basically my attitude towards that rather than, well, there's my vision board and we've got three things we're building for today, right? No, right? I can get those things if I'm ready for what's going to jump in front of me. And usually it's from my own closets. Mm -hmm. So my work, my responsibility, nobody else's is to open up every single closet and say, hi, I'm Kara. I think, you know, you might end up jumping out at me at some point when I try to improve or try to get better. Um, You might try to scare me, spook me. Um, We're going to become acquainted now so that that won't work later. Um, that's, that, that's my sort of like alternative stance to the goal setting vision boarding thing. Those are all great. Um, but one small obstacle, one pattern, one old story and you're toast. <laughs> so how do people in my life who can do that too? How that's, do those we, are the people I want close to me. How do we, how do we fill those closets up or build those barriers? Like what, it, what, where do those are patterns you saying you're exist? in the closet? Sure. Are you in the closet? But, you know, like in, uh, <laughs> In, within our training space, we talk about yeah. compens- uh, compensation patterns, right? You, yeah, you sprain yeah. an ankle, uh, then you build this whole compensation pattern, then you do yeah. something else, then there's another compensation pattern, and all these things ultimately hit a boiling point. And that's yeah. kind of like the new buzzword, I guess, in like the PT telehealth space. Well, at least okay. the people we're talking yeah, to. Yeah, compensation patterns. So like, what is, I guess I would call these kind of like these cognitive compensation patterns or yeah. motivational Ooh. compensation patterns, sure. right? Nice one. Nice Cognitive one. compensation just... patterns. So how do it like, is it like a form of safety or something? Like what? Yeah. Avoidance. Is that what it is? Just avoidance. 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 Yeah. It is hard work. It is hard work to prepare for something that isn't yet a threat. You guys know this. You're preparing for threats that haven't arrived yet. There is no tiger in the room, but you are going to, down-regulate, you're going to prepare yourself, you're going to deal with the adrenaline, you're going to deal with all the avoidance, right? Before that tiger ever arrives, it may never arrive. Most likely, you know the tiger that's going to arrive. I know mine, right? Um, but I'm, I'm prepping for that before it arrives. I'm not thinking, I'll probably pick a path where no tigers ever arrive. That's what <laughs> I'll do. I'll pick the prettiest path and the best path and the path the truest to me, and no tiger will ever disrupt it. Okay, we're just, we don't live in that world. Yeah, those people <laughs> died off. by t- They got eaten by tigers. Yep, for <laughs> sure. And then actually in the metaphorical world, it's, oh my God, a tiger. And then I couldn't do it. Yeah. And it's like, um, right. Also, you weren't repping. Like you weren't prepping, <laughs> right? The, the compensation occurred unconsciously because you didn't ever think about how that might strain you or how that might stress you or push your boundaries, right? So you got to be ready. Don't compensate unconsciously. Like you got to prep for that consciously. And usually, even if something unexpected comes, it's the comp or the prep that you did for the thing you thought that was going to come, even though something different came, it still will help you, right? Like, like that compensation, you know, doesn't have to occur because you've prepped in some way to strengthen yourself against surprise. Transferability. That's what I Transferability, call it. skill transfer. Yes. <laughs> Cognitive skill transfer. Do Write it. That down. Do it. Write that down. And you know what? Leaders are the first people that need this. And they're the first people who don't talk about it, who don't talk about how they do this well. Even really good leaders 
are tempted and their people are a part of problem in this, like a conspiracy about this, not wanting them. They just want them to be great and arrive that way and then just sail on through. Mm -hmm. They don't, they're invested in them not talking about how they're breaking their own shit constantly, how they're prepping for obstacles and predicting how things might surprise them or might trip them up, but really powerful transformational leaders and people, they are open about this. They talk about it. Like I'm ready to learn again. I'm like, that's, that is like, that will get me really fired up. So is there anything else? Is there anything else going back to John, what you said a few, like maybe 45 minutes ago, like there is a way to like reach a role of authority by just saying you're, you know, like no, um, imposing your will upon people, right? No, yeah, I mean, uh, and it might work short-sightedly, but I feel like that one's kind well, of like those a, are tyrants. Yeah, you know, and I think like, uh, like I, the tyrants of Instagram. <laughs> well, <laughs> and you're thinking of like, well, like, a, uh, like, if you um, want to conform, that's all you'll get. You'll just get conformity. Right, if which, you call them to transform, you'll get some sort of transformative thing going on in you and them. Like, dude, everybody. I mean, I want that. I don't want conformity. That's all I'll ever get. It's super, like, unvaluable to me. It doesn't get me anything. Do you think uh, people want to be worshipped? Do you think, yeah, like, 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 like admiration like and worship? Like, all people or just there's no, a but like, group of people? like, I was thinking on, like, um, whether it be, like, you know, from the local CrossFit gym or, you know, do people mm-hmm. kind of go out and stake their little claim and, hey, I'm going to open this little place because I want to be, you know, the leader and I want people this uh, admiration and worship. Like, I want to be the person, like, the shining light. And I, I sometimes, uh, as I've encountered uh, people, I saw this in the NFL. I've seen it like within, you know, obviously the entrepreneurial space and whatnot. I think people are more into the idea of hero worship, and I'm doing this so that I can be worshipped like a hero, mm-hmm. more so than like you know what I like. I I imagine you know every morning when Aubrey Marcus gets up, he gets dressed like Achilles to go to battle. You know, dress me. You know, <laughs> shellacky me, shellacky <laughs> me with the shlangy as he goes up there and he steps on the stage and on it and then like walks out and everybody comes out of their offices and cheers and throws little pickles at him oh and uh, like. <laughs> You know, things like that. Like, uh, we're like, never getting on that you know, podcast. And then he goes up and, you know, sits on his golden throne of kettlebells. And uh, people bring him over, and there's a fan, and they feed him little pickles. And, and what's and, with the and, pickles? Isn't it great? Cornichon. Cornichon. Is it, or is there like. Uh, no, the joke is uh, you guys never saw. Um, Real genius with a Val Kilmer. I have. When he goes over and he's like, hey, he's like, oh, I had a really weird dream. He's like, does it involve you on the top of a pyramid in sun god robes with thousands of naked women throwing little pickles at you and chanting <laughs> your name? And he's like, no. He's like, why am I the only one that has that dream? <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so that's a Great little 80s tie reference. Back. Great um, tie back then. So yeah, I, I was really hoping that you guys are going to be like, oh, fucking little, little pickles, real genius. Even better. More obscur- obscurity, uh, better. Uh, so that type of like, Doing uh-huh. things to create cult of personality and admiration because there's an in, an inherent desire to be worshipped and like uh, fawned over and this and like I fucking see it on like all the time on like when I look at like different mm-hmm. groups and people I've been around I'll be like this person's not really into leading as much as they're into the being feeling the of being of being the leader and mm-hmm. being yep. worshipped and thought of not necessarily like. Hey, follow me as they charge into the burning building to kick the fucking door off of the hinges, right. which is the person that I want to follow. I don't, I don't want the dude who's just like, worship me, love me, need me. And uh, that's where I've seen like a lot of, uh, you know, coming into the CrossFit scene, coming out of the NFL, I feel like that was the initial. And then it's kind of gone into this other space of like, worship me because I know everything, you know, kind of this inherent bullshit. So.
That little ditty and the sound of my smooth, sensual, yet strong voice means you're about halfway through our chat and you've earned yourself a little brain break brought to you by our friends at Train Heroic. And I know you're like, Callie, your voice is smooth, sensual, yet strong, but what does that have to do with Train Heroic? And the answer is it doesn't. But here's why we at Power Athlete think it's important that you're aware of what Train Heroic is capable of. Their whole jam is to empower you to train without limits. Sound familiar? That means that you can take your little gym business or side hustle and absolutely blow the fucking doors off of it. Their immersive training solutions allow you to train athletes from New York to Nicaragua. And FYI, if you consult a map, those places are really far from each other. Gym space is not an issue, distance not an issue, and scheduling, well, we already know that time is an illusion, but it's even more illusion-y with Train Heroic. With Train Heroic, you can provide an engaging, flexible, and affordable training experience for your people wherever they are on this flat earth. They provide everything you need to look like a pro, even if you're a complete Luke Summers, and transition into this brave new world of online training. The best part is that they give you a fortnight of free usage. That's two weeks for anyone not born in the 1700s. And when that wraps up, you can keep the party going for the price of a Chipotle burrito. But wait, there's more. A burrito without guac. And you pay only as your business gains grow. The whole crew uses Train Heroic and has done so for years. There's a reason we are taking the time to mention it, and it's not because they promised us a party barge or a suitcase full of collectible beanie babies, uh, baby tigers, or anything else that you deem to be extremely valuable. It's simply because we like them, we use them, and we believe in what they can do for your business and your athletes. Power Athlete has grown by 50% for the last four years because of Train Heroic. And in the words of one of my old coaches, you can't argue with results. Head over to trainheroic.com, click on the free trial button in the upper right-hand corner, and get started today. Now back to the show. It is, it's a really shallow, like low intimacy kind of relationship quality. And so being worshiped doesn't really fill the deep need to belong, right? Like we know this, right? Enough celebrities can tell you, you know, this or their memoirs because they took their own life or what, like, right? This is the people who are most worshiped don't feel the most fulfilled. And it's because you're seeking something that you, you know, believe is the highest form of sort of intimate belonging and, and acceptance, but it ends up being like the like most pansy form of that. It's just like a throwaway accolade kind of a thing. It's a vote alike or whatever, right? Like there's there's lots of research on all of that. But but really if I encounter a leader like that, number one, I don't want to follow them. <laughs> okay. You guys too. Um, secondly, I'm wondering where can they go get an experience of more intimate, more meaningful quality levels of relationship so that they can lead from that place? Because that leading from a needing worship place is so needy. It's so desperate. It becomes so reactive. And you see it. You see it in the example that you gave. And we could 
go and make a whole, <laughs> list, a whole bunch of examples, right? Because all you, you, you never get full. You need more and more and more of it because it's these tiny little droplets of, you know, little accolades and little acceptances. So to really get it, you need a handful of people or a small subset of people that you belong to, that you invest in, that you fuck up with and who forgive you and make you better. And like you guys know this, right? So I don't think that there's an inherent desire for people to be worshiped. I actually think there's an inherent desire for people to feel accepted and known, but they haven't had an experience of that. And so they settle for this worship to be thing or, and, or are those people sociopaths emperor's like, new clothes for right? sure for you sure remember this i know that movie I've yeah never no seen well it. it's a it's a book it's a children's story Fable. it's been a movie i mean it's a it's a cliche that's been used you know the story was that this guy comes and tells the emperor i'll make you the finest uh the the finest garments it, it's so light it's so airy it's so amazing that you'll feel like you're wearing nothing hmm. so he comes back yeah. he dresses him and then the king walks out naked and He's where the and no one around him tells him. Everyone reinforces the thing, and they do it with leaders all the time. I mean, you've got to have complicit people to keep the ruse going on, right? And so it's—I mean, we talked about this before. If you if you want obedience, like then that's what you're going to get. But that's all you're going to get. You're just going to get obedience. You're not going to get acceptance. You're not going to get accountability. You can't expect all the good things if all you're looking for is obedience. So, you know, if you want real meaningful, deep relationships, you want real growth, you want people to transform right alongside you and you want them to push you to transform and you want the business to transform and you want to meet people's needs, right? Like you want all these good things we want out of life. That's what you have to require. That's what you have to model. And hero worshipers, like they're not willing to give that. They won't come to you to give that. And heroes looking to be worshipped or heroines looking to be worshipped, they're not ready to extend that to you. So this, we're, we're dealing in a different type of economy. And we don't, you know, that currency doesn't work for me. It's very low, low currency. It's like working in pesos, you know, like we're working with like, oh, it's one million pesos. I know. <laughs> yeah, but it's one million pesos. Like, no. <laughs> so then like, what's a toolkit for, I feel like, Innocent people get wrapped up in hero worship. Well, is there a vulnerability in that? Like, that's something yeah. that I, I keep wondering, like, where's the vulnerability fit in? Like, uh, um, because it seems to me that the best leaders and the people that I, I actually respect the most, you know, are the people that appear to be the most humane or, or human or maybe, you know, provide some uh, vulnerability. So who are yours? Who's your vulnerability kind of like modeled the way kind of person? <sighs> Man, um... Like, I don't have to know who they are. I mean, you don't have to pick up. Like, yeah, no, I, I like I. Uh, it's funny you ask me these questions and I could probably if I wasn't on here, name 100. But like, I don't know, like. Um, uh, I always think like there's an interesting blending of strength and vulnerability, like uh, where somebody is, um, you know, strong and a leader. But yet, like you see them, you know, uh, like one of the classic examples I've ever seen was um, there was a clip of a NFL game and it showed the guys coming out of the locker room. And there was a little kid, uh, like, you know, had to be four years old, that was like somehow was standing in the tunnel. And as he goes by, he raises his hand, and the first guy gives him like a high five and a high five. And it's a, I think it's a bunch of linebackers coming out. And the last dude kneels down, gives the kid a high five, and then picks him up and carries him out on the field. 
And like, here these dudes are like, and having been in that moment of getting ready to go out to the game where I feel like I'm about to like chew through glass and tear somebody's head off. Like, like, like the fury that I built for those dudes to high five. And that dude like gets down, high fives, little kid picks him up. Now, did he do it because of the camera? I don't know, but I don't care. Um, yeah. Like that strength of like, here these NFL players are going out, but then in the moment as they're all walking out to go do their job, they're all dads, they're all brothers, they're all fathers, they're all sons. Yeah. And like yeah. that piece of like never forgetting the humanity and the uh, vulnerability of it, like that to me, if somebody were to say, hey, give an example of like strength and vulnerability, that little clip right there was like the greatest one uh, yeah. for me. Um, so like that's an example of it. Yeah. No. And it, interestingly, leaders, similarly, people respond to them well when they stay in their role and they show some sort of vulnerability or softness. So you don't have to lay one down, like you don't have to lay down power or authority in order to show up, you know, in this other way. And those get set up as opposites a lot. Um, but, but really, you know, great leaders can hold both, can hold both roles. Um, yeah, that's, I, I think it's a, that's an interesting one, especially like, I mean, you're three dudes, but from a gender perspective, you know, as a woman, um, you know, this is an interesting tension as well, that how do you, you know, hold authority and power and role and expertise um, and also show up in your, you know, full sort of femininity and like, that's a different kind of a power. It's, just, you know, um, a different, a different one in like, maybe in the strength and conditioning world, maybe, you know, in sitting at a business negotiation table, you know, I'm, I'm in that tension sometimes too. So your listeners who, you know, deal with age, you know, young people or older people, they're in this tension as well. Do I sort of hold role and authority and power also show up my really myself and who I am and at the age and stage I'm at. And like when you say, so when you say lay down the your power, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. So um, you gave the example earlier of what's the boundaries around, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So if you say, oh gosh, I don't know, we're all in this together. I, you know, I, I mean, I don't really know. Like, what do we all think? Hmm? You know, like that's just sort of like an abdication of the hard duty of setting focus for everyone. And that's the role we've paid you to be in, right? Like we need your motivation to be there and we need you to hold that role. Um, but like while you're doing it, right. Being open to let's get some collaboration. Let's get some consensus. Is there an exception that I'm not considering when I set these priorities? Okay. I'm not going to not set the priorities, but I'm also not going to avoid hearing the exceptions, right? Those it's, it's bringing those paradoxes in because we, what we want you to do is both. And that's a high call. It's a really high call, but we usually pay leaders better <laughs> because we're calling them to do this, right? We, we compensate them higher because we want their complexity to be higher too. We want them to hold their power and not lay it down. We want to pay them to do the role. They've got to set the priorities and focus for us, but we also would really appreciate it. And we'd really stay engaged and motivated and, um, you know, untriggered if they would do it in a way that represents their humanity that really listens and learns. Is there a, I mean, would you recommend as well, you know, I'm just thinking like if, if someone's imagining this, like it, holding that power can be tiring, right? So it is important to maybe have a cohort or a peer 
where you can kind of set that down and get it off like and like get whatever it is off your chest because there's certainly a time place and manner for it and it would be you know the audience in which maybe is looking up to you i'm thinking like in like the family space like let's say something happened john maybe you can maybe vouch for this more than me because I don't have this, but let's say your kids got hurt or something and you're going to the hospital and mom's like, well, what are we going to do? You know, like it's, that might not be the right time for you to like freak out because oh, yeah. you need to be the, well, yeah, you need to be the fucking, we got it. Uh, We're going to go yeah, to the hospital. I got a guy there. He you knows his shit. It. And then like, you're uh, really just texting us. You're like, dude, we're, fu- we're so fucked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, but uh, like, I think a lot of that comes from experience. Like uh, there's really nothing my kids could do that I haven't done. And there's really no injury that they're going to have that I wouldn't be like, sure. oh, yeah, no problem. But that's because, I mean, I was like, I'm a, like my mom t- constantly tells me I'm amazed you made it past 10. Um, <laughs> uh, but like, I, I think that's like in gender roles, like that's a really interesting one. Like, um, you know, the reason that, you know, you see the Chinese symbol, the yin and the yang and the reason that, you know, whether or not uh, whatever you think, believe about single parents or do, you know, this, I really think that like there is a really interesting blending of male and female energy when you race. Uh, kids and I think like having both parents in the home and um, and that while that's not always the case for everybody I'll just tell you in my own personal experience like my wife plays one very different role and I play a different role and then what's hilarious is things will happen and we'll switch roles so like we're always like like there's like the uh, the you know the uh, you know the gas and the brake it's like you know like all of a sudden if my wife's fucking on them I know I gotta like back off a little bit if I see her pump the brakes a little bit then I go on and I think like that's the balancing of it and I always wonder like how would same sex couples or how would people that have one person in the home like how would they balance that I think it would be just really tiring like if you had two people the same energy like I don't like you know my wife and I think I balance it. Um, Something to go well, I back to. I won't bite on that one. I won't well, bite on that one. But <laughs> that's, uh, a, that's a better podcast. But but I mean that's. But, uh, I, I was thinking something you said earlier when you were talking yeah. about uh, um, some female energy, and uh, yeah. I have a wife, and I have you know a mom and yeah. two daughters, which is more than enough women in my life. Uh, the one thing which I found really interesting, and my wife has got like you know uh, an MBA, two master's degrees, and she worked for BlackRock and managed a huge real estate portfolio for them. And she made an interesting comment once. She said, you know, one of her, uh, one of the people she worked with that did a similar role, similar to this, um, if he's like tough on negotiation and kind of like a, you know, go getter in this, like, oh, that guy's really driven, he's going to go places. If she exhibited the same type of stuff, she was this ball buster and she was a bitch and a lesbian. And like she heard these things because she was like really no nonsense. Like she didn't fuck around. This is the deal. And she just was like, if I was a guy, this would be favored. But like because I'm a woman, instantly I'm a ball buster and there's all these things. And she's like, I got passed over for she got passed over a promotion, which I still think she should have sued him over because they said that uh, um, she was a ball buster. Um, you know, because she would go into these negotiations and be like, this is what we need to make. If you don't like it, you can go fuck yourself. Like, uh, that was just her idea. But she's like, I wanted to say that, but I had to say it in other ways. Whereas all of a sudden, like, if her male counterpart comes in and says the exact thing, that kid's going places. That guy's going to do great. And uh, she's like, it was the worst double standard. Um, but we see it. We see strong women and we're like, oh, you know, she's a ball buster. This chick is this. And, you know, we kind of have all these equations. And so for me as a father with daughters... I tell them like um, all the time, number one, daddy loves you. Second of all, we, we, um, 
what, what do I say exactly? Uh, we value, uh, there's nothing I don't value over strength. Like strength is what we value most. Strength of body, strength of mind, strength of character, honesty. And I go through this whole thing. I'm like, look how in good shape your mom is. That's the reason I get up and train because she's way more jacked than me. I'm like, mommy goes up and busts her ass. And I'd like, I constantly am building these value stories that strength is by far the, your greatest commodity, whether it's to fight off virus or this, or my daughter is, you know, riding horses and she's, uh, she does um, like equestrian and they jump and do all this. And she's like, she's eight and she's riding with girls that are 16 and she's able to do it because she's so strong. Like in there, like the, 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 our next door neighbor, Kathy is like, man, Killy is so strong in the saddle. And I'm like, well, yeah, look at her mom. Like, look at me. Like, like this is something we value. Like they train, they lift weights, they do things like, like strength is valued upon uh, over everything. And I even joke with them about like, you know, what's the riddle of steel from Conan. And, um, you know, and I tell them that our God is crumb. It's just these, these constant jokes because I want them to grow up. Um, I don't want them to be meek. I want them to be strong women. Uh, you know, but I also have this like interesting feeling where I'm like, if I raise them to be strong women and I, and I, I raise them to be assertive and all this, is society going to view them as a bitch and a ball buster and a lesbian and, you know, and all these other ones. And, you know, like the, my favorite is, you know, all these guys are like, Oh, that girl looks like a man. She's too muscular. And I'm like, Dude, if you think she looks like a man, you're not very much of a man. Because uh, every time I see a girl that's in phenomenal shape that's jacked, I'm like, I know how much work it took to get like that. And I forever have admiration because you can't buy that shit. That just shows dedication and hard work. That just doesn't happen. And um, that's a, a really interesting thing. And Luke, you'll see it as a father of daughters. So like, right. like I, I don't know how to, how to like, I can't change it. I just have to prepare them for it. And so a lot of times, especially within the work environment and as you have employees or what, like I can't change these things, but we can prepare people for what's coming and then arm them with enough strength and enough of, uh, uh, enough of an arsenal to go out and be successful. And, um, that's like the one thing which I feel a lot of people fail in terms of leadership is, is arming yourself. I mean, uh, you know, I, I joked with my wife once, uh, as I was going, I, I got shoulder surgery a couple months ago and she kind of made this joke. She's like, uh, like <laughs> what happens if you go under and don't wake up like all the will. And we were kind of talking all this and I was like, I'm pretty fucking sure if I died, Luke and Tex and you and the crew could keep me going for at least 10 years without anybody knowing. Weekend at Bernie's baby. Oh, I was like, you guys Bernie's could weekend at I, I was employees like, to I, carry him around. I was like, you guys could just have a cardboard cut out of me. You have enough audio. We have enough programming. Nobody would really know for about 10 years. <laughs> and, uh, she was like, like, I couldn't tell if she was okay with it or like, I, I yeah. couldn't tell her, but I was like, I'm not that worried. I, I was like, believe me. So that's the plan. So that's the plan. Yeah. That's, we got a plan. Yeah. I, well, but like that, that it's type Operation of, Zulu. Yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> Operation <laughs> Zulu is in effect. I was like, just yes. go in. I'm like, just ask Luke and text. So keep everything going. Like, we, uh, we get a text. <laughs> Zulu. Uh, all of a sudden Luke's like, oh, don't worry. I already got his Instagram. Yeah. He's fine. We're posting. Zulu. We got all these pictures on the phone. Oh, we, we wrapped for this. This was yeah. our obstacle. I, we already repped for it. We're ready. I, I, I have 10,000 pictures on my phone. And, I just had to buy more storage. And they're not selfies, so we can just, nobody will know. Oh, no. Because no, you're not well, a big selfie. Well, no, I'm not a big <laughs> selfie guy. So uh, th this is Three-day weekends. I, Man, I it's going to be great. I had an interesting observation about uh, social media, that there's two types of social media. There's people that are voyeur, like, like there's people that want you to see them and everything, and then there's people that like want you to see through their eyes. And uh, I like showing people what I'm looking at, like like seeing my mug and everything. Like, hey, here's a selfie of me, you know, doing this. I just want to show people exactly what I'm looking at at that moment, and I think that's what I want to share. So um, that's just a difference. But 
man, I, uh, I really struggle with this thing with, uh, with my daughters and like, I know how difficult and hard and like, um, just fucking brutal the world is. And like, you almost like I'm preparing my daughters. Whereas my son, I'll be like, he'll be fine. Yeah. You know, well, just grow big and strong like your dad and kick fucking doors off of hinges and you'll be fine. And I tell him that all the time. I'm like, dude, I was like, you will. I was I, I was like, you just need to grow up and just like we have enough guys around who are of good character. You'll be OK. Whereas like the daughter is like, man, that's that's the stress for me. So. Mm-hmm. Well, and so how do you prep them for those obstacles? I mean, this is a great application of this. How do they you're doing it already? And I think what Luke was asking about, which is who you know, what's the cohort of people right around you? What's required of that? you know, the quality of that group in order to, to hold you steady, to stay you through whatever obstacles come. And I know how I answer that question, right? Like I know the people that I need speaking into my life and where I can lay down my roles. You know, I'm not Dr. Miller. I'm not like developmental coach. I'm, you know, I'm actually, I'm just me. And there's only a handful of people that can do that really well. And that I can do that for too. And those are the places where doesn't matter how dark it is, like they can go there and they can hold me steady while I do that work. They don't try to solve it for me, fix it for me, you know, affirmation me to death, you know, like it doesn't, they know that's not what we're doing. So it's the world is real. The obstacles that are now are real and the obstacles that are coming, we can't prevent. So who do we want to be? in preparation for all of those things, knowing that we'll never always be prepared, knowing we never can always predict and we can't change the future, but I've got two daughters too. And this is the tact that I'm taking so far in parenting, which is the quality of the people around you and your willingness to build the quality of who's inside you, who you meet when you look into the, you know, listen into the dark. Um, Those are the things that you can control. And those are, those are the, if you do a good job with those two things, you are at, at wonderful risk for positively contributing to the organizations and the society that you're a part of. I really, I mean, really, truly, if we want to break it down, that's what we're doing. We're doing that as leaders, as parents, as partners, and as friends. And I, and I'll say those people who are close and can walk in the dark with you like that, they can't be your employees. They can't work for you um, and they can't be your siblings or your, you know, your spouse because it's just not their job, you know, like their job is to enjoy life with you or do work with you and have meaningful relationships. But the, that inner core, I mean, you were asking about that a little bit, Luke, I think that's separate. That's a, that's a higher sort of higher level call. Could that go, could that go up though? So like if you are in that leadership role, it it makes sense not for it to be appropriate for your subordinates to be in that space. Right. But if you had a, like, could you go up to your, your leader to be, to be that person for you? Or does that put you in, I don't know, is, is that too close for comfort? Well, I suppose you just have to have some good boundaries. Like, are we talking performance right now in my compensation or like, are we talking about that? I'm excited to be working for you, but that I want to be doing more or like, you'd have to be really clear. Right, I guess right. just be super clean with yeah, that. And I, so I, you know, these guys know I've got like, what, what, what were you saying? My, I, my, I was thriving to be everyone's co-star. Uh, Everyone on this planet's co-star. So, so I'm convinced. 
I'm not. Uh, I am Luke, on board. Uh, with like, this. if every person in this world was like the star of their own movie, mm-hmm. Luke is literally working to get the Academy I Award as best supporting, supporting actor in everybody's life. It's it, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're like, and the Grammy goes to for Jupe's life. Luke Summers is best supporting <laughs> actor. Again, slash Again. Uh, yeah, and, and he oh, like so proud of you guys. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. Uh, is, so I'll put this on the shelf with the other sixty-five of these. So, so like Luke's comment is like, um, <laughs> one of my best friends, mm-hmm. and like, mm-hmm. I which one? Like best friend is kind of like Lone Rangers. Mm-hmm. Like you can't have like, but Luke's got uh, hundreds of best friends. There's the and then one of the right, yeah. But he's like, well, this was my best friend from eighth grade to ninth grade, and, uh-huh. and this was my best grade from first grade to second. That's right. Like, uh, there's a lot of really interesting layers. That's right. And uh, it's because yeah. Luke grew, grew up with an older sister, and like I think uh, I grew up with two older brothers, and my mom, I was like, oh, like, like, hey, can I invite some friends? And my mom's like, no, you already have brothers. Like, we like, I was like, oh, like, watch this. Yeah, well, like it was kind of like, hey, uh, you don't can, need no friends. Yeah, like, uh, hey, mom, like, can we invite so and so skiing? She's like, why? You already have brothers. I'm I birthed like, you these friends. <laughs> yeah, uh, God gifted you two friends. Fucking right. enjoy them. I, uh, so, like, uh, it's, it, it's interesting <laughs> for me because, like, uh, like I, I don't think I grew up um, cultivating mm-hmm. friendships outside of my brothers and my family because yeah. we were just so close. Or work. And, like, that. so that is what I was kind of getting into, Kara. Like, yeah. and it's, like, this has become a friction point for individuals when uh, they, for my single buddies who bring in girlfriends and they're, they're brought into this brotherhood of people who have been friends for two decades and who are just like so inappropriately close with one another that there's like a sense of apprehension and then like this this desire to perform and be accepted when like just because you're here you're already in, like yeah by, it, by like no way by it's the that nature simple. of the invitation you're yeah, already in the club but, and, and it's never been that simple and like it doesn't end well sadly for those young ladies but um I'm, I feel very grateful to have that. And like my, so my cohort is there, but if you're, and I guess you got your brothers, right, John, but let's say there's an individual out there listening. Who's yeah, like, a bunch of assholes. all I have are those people, the people I lead and yeah. the people I work with. Right. Like, well, if it's not appropriate, how the hell do I, they need to see that movie with, um, uh, I love you, man. I Clueless. love you, man. That was oh my honestly, God, that is I, I have never Pistol been more, beat. I have never been more uncomfortable watching Slap a movie. Like when, when he shows up to like the girls thing and he's going to make them all ice cream sundaes and he finds his wife talking shit about him. Oh my God. I have, Paul Rudd is so good I have never been more uncomfortable in a movie than I have in that movie. I'm going to watch it. Like, I was like, this is so awkward. Like, but then I realized, um, as a guy, like, uh, being able to have friendships and being able to cultivate that stuff and to be able to do these things is kind of a skill. And, uh, I think, uh, guys that don't grow up with brothers that are close have to, like, I know you grew up with sisters, like you have to cultivate these friendships through sports. Yeah. Well, so that was through, through sports. Started. But like, I think I'm fucking lazy with it because I, I have all these friends and then it's like, I, and then all of a sudden I'm like, man, I haven't talked to that dude in like three years. And then you hit him up and some people are like, what's up? And then other people are like, you're an asshole. You haven't spoken to me. I'm like, I had kids. We had twins. I lost about six, seven so years of my it, life. A lot's really gone on. <laughs> yeah, like when I was playing in the NFL, like I, it was pretty interesting. And Carrie, you'll get a laugh out of this, but like when I played in the NFL, my phone text like rang nonstop of people like reaching out. The day that I retired and it was over, I remember looking and like nobody called me, nobody texted me, and my phone went boom. You know what I did? I just deleted it and started over. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if people don't call me. 
or text me, then I, then I don't have their numbers. And it was this incredible, uh, it was the saddest, most liberating, best moment of my mm-hmm. life to realize that the only people that are going to reach out to me that I'm going to have their numbers are the people that are genuinely interested in me. Or the ones willing to slum it with you, like, you know, CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you, you know, just what? kidding. And I went out and made a whole bunch of new friends. And, True. uh, like that was kind of interesting for me because, uh, I, I like had this whole other, you know, trajectory in life that just, fucking ended one day and then I went in a completely different one and uh, it's um in, and then in, I met these fucking schlubs in observation so my university is because they had to cancel spring season they're being proactive with the alumni to try to highlight just uh, accomplishments over the past decade and my team had a pretty just a, an upset we beat a, a top 20 team I guess that's the biggest win in the program history nice so they're trying to schedule a like a viewing zoom viewing party with the whole team. So I was one of the, the, the captains on the team and still talk to my coach. So I got to organize this whole thing. He gave me the roster and I still have all the numbers cause I have the same phone number from college. Yeah. So still had all these guys numbers within my phone. It just saved through it. And I'm texting them just trying to get emails from guys that I haven't talk to in a long time and it's just interesting the Ooh. I guess the response that I'm getting I never so, liked you you fucking asshole you're like God. All right. it's almost it's almost like the seniors and the freshmen I got along the most with probably because I put the most effort in towards them but then like these middle guys are like uh, asking for their email address and they're like why and other guys are like man how are you and like in t- creating a conversation so I'm like ah Dude, crap I reconnected with a guy I went to high school with played uh, football he was a year older than me um, you guys somehow re- somebody reposted the uh, zombie apocalypse uh, preparation guide that I wrote and he like hit me up on like uh, on Facebook and was like I was like dude I haven't spoken to this guy since I was probably 17 years old and uh, he uh, is a Hollywood producer and like was like made like work for like Michael Bay made all these movies and like all these like which, like, which like, ones work with Jay-Z uh, like he was like I was like holy shit and he's like oh yeah I have this big production company like works with all these professional uh, volleyball players so we go on yeah <laughs> which ones uh, I don't know he represents a bunch of them but does it as like an agent part-time and like just pretty interesting dude but uh yeah we we connected and i was like yo man like you like and this is so funny he had this badass mustang uh 5-0 uh fox body and um he taught me also how to ford car, also a ford, a car. ford. Mm. Yeah. He, okay, sorry. this thing was all like dude this thing was so, so kill, killer um <laughs> he, he had nitrous uh he showed me how to shift without a clutch so ah. clutchless shifting like Woo! revving up the rpms and shifting it and i even told him this day i'm like Dude, you taught me how to clutch a shift. Like, oh yeah. Did he, did he quote dub, double clutching like Yada? No, it, it, it's cool. He's like, oh, his yeah. movie? like, like oh, uh, we went off campus for lunch and we were coming back and he remembered the moment. I and I was like, that love, I was like, dude, super super cool to reconnect. And it's even cooler to reconnect with people that are actually been successful. Like, uh, you know, you reap, you're like, oh, I'm just coming out of rehab for the 10th time. You know, be, Boy, uh, didn't you actually go to high school with that guy? <laughs> uh, no, the actor, but that guy was uh, a high school coach. football coach at my high school and reached out to me to like, hey, could you come and like, you know, uh, like, like work with the kids and do some inspirational stuff. And I was like, uh, like the guy sent me a message and it was him videoed. And I'm like. Holy shit, that's a guy from uh, Wedding Crashers. Wedding Crashers. And I even said, Best him. man. I was like, you were the, yeah, you were the best man. He's like, and then Todd got me out of rehab for the seventh time. Yeah, that dude. <laughs> How fucking random is that? 
Wormhole. <laughs> Palace Verdes. Peel it back, Tex. Where were we? Nobody knows. Carrie, do you remember? And Palace Verdes? No. no. In their asking, conversation. You were asking you, how. Oh, uh, yes, do you live in Santa French? Monica? No, no. I'm in San Diego. But oh, I in San Diego? But yes. Um, no, we were saying, I'm, I'm, the theme of the conversation that, uh, I could, yeah, yeah, that yeah. I'm hovering over is friendship as a practice and higher quality relationships in order to support you when you go into the dark. And which is necessary if you're going to lead more people or you're going to innovate more products or you're going to go where other people haven't gone before. So like going and, to Brazil and doing like ayahuasca trips for a month, like that type of darkness? Yeah, what's up uh, with that? Don't go there with me. <laughs> what is, what the, no, but like what's the deal with that? Like I keep seeing like so, – so there was a guy named C.K. Lin that trained at our gym and now he's like this big like is CEO coach. Shaman? Uh, sh- slash shaman and takes CEOs on these plant-based medicine trips – uh, as a way to like grow their companies and do all this. And every time I hear it, it just feels like bullshit. Like all the hair stands up on my body. Yep. So you just, I tell him, you know what, if you want to do that work, we got plenty of people lined up to do that work with you. Okay. Also very short line of people like me willing to do the work like Ford Motor Company, like Power Athlete, where we sit around and every day we break new shit we become vulnerable, we take responsibility, we hold each other accountable, we have laughs doing it, we live a life where we have these quality relationships and our customers all benefit, so does our industry. So um, yeah, long line, ayahuasca, uh, d- take the shortcuts, cheat your way forward, you know, like get out a vision and then a new set of people and then you're good. Okay, short line, stay with who you are, face your demons, prep for obstacles, do the work. <laughs> Sleep really well. Sleep really well. <laughs> so I think we're, we were searching for and, and digging back to his old friendships and relationships that we had. So Luke posed the question of where can one go for to find that challenging new person like the plot of I oh, Love You, Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Nice D- one. Uh, so I, I think the answer we're pulling out is if you unfortunately don't have that network at your hand, you have to ask yourself these hard questions. And this goes into like a lot of Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life. It's you have to sit down and then ask yourself these things. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's operating on the assumption that people don't have the network, but if you do are fortunate enough, it accelerates as Kara said earlier, like it's a long heart, long road. As I always say on my blog, on Luke's blog, blog, talk to me, Lukey, the, um, But that process can be accelerated with mm-hmm. pals. So if you got 13 best friends, it's really quick. Yeah. yeah, I guess so. Well, and even Luke, right? Like you have an opportunity to level that up. Like you could probably pretty quickly pull to mind, like who are the most solid people of all your best friends? Mm-hmm. Who are the ones that are the most dense? You give it a nice hard knock and like, there's no echo in there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, those are the people that you think hard about like, okay, so what's the practice of friendship that doubles down here with them? Or like, what is the part of me that, you know, can soften up, open up, you know, model the way forward and see if there's a response there. And um, because I think most people do have a sense of the like density of the people around them and can pull to mind the people that seem really solid, like they've done their own work. They're not going to depend on me to do it for them. 
They're not depending on their employees to do it for them or their athletes to do it for them or their worshipers to do the work for them, right? They do the work and what they extend into the world is just of a different quality and they're able to perform like consistently and predictably and improve in the same ways, right? Mm -hmm. These are just hard truths. I mean, really. (laughs) For sure. No, it's a good answer. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Anything else we got? Um, I just, you guys are fun. You guys are fun. Thank you. I haven't traveled in the airport in a long time, but observation is all these increasing amount of books, I guess may, may be considered self-help with a curse word that's blanked out. Like, is this the same author? Is this just like a new marketing trick that all these self-help gurus are following the playbook? Well, it's the, it's the, the whole generation of like, Hey, I'm going to tell you how it is. And yes. like, I'm going to give you the, like the hard pill to swallow, Five steps. Yeah, Five which, steps. which I, I feel like, uh, uh, Jordan Peterson, um, who I really appreciate and really like actually enjoy reading his book. And I, I really like like, like I like the way, uh, what I appreciate about him is how, in depth that he's worked through all of these really complex situations. Like he's mm-hmm. thought through this stuff. And if they hit him with something that he hasn't thought through, he'll be like, I haven't thought through that enough. Like, I, like I, I won't give it a good answer, which I always appreciate. So yeah. I think like people have like glommed onto this like kind of hard pill thing. And then they've just taken it to the fucking ridiculous. So that's kind of what I view. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, I'm, I think you're softballing me there, right? <laughs> Text. Ah. Airport books. What I, I would like to contribute one. Mm-hmm. So what's <laughs> yeah. the plan? What's the plan yep. with that? We're in the middle of the plan for that. And that is that um, it seems to me that the hardest pill to swallow with the lowest level of effective practice is feedback. So everybody wants to improve, but they want to do it with these five steps or this goal setting mindset or this break your habits thing. And they want to believe that it's just a brain hack. And, you know, you've heard me preaching it to you guys in this hour, two hours, that, um, that, that those don't work, right? Like you've got to do the work. You've got to get the feedback that you need in order to improve in the ways that matter to the people in the business. So whether it's your spouse, you don't get to you know, read a book about five steps to get better, because what if those five steps aren't the five steps your spouse needs you to get better at in order to connect, right? And do life together. So you have to do the hard work of turning to your spouse and saying, how do I get better for you? How do we do this together differently over the years? Um, The same is true in leadership. And there really isn't anything that I can recommend for anybody to read that's meaningful, that's practice-based, that has stories about real leaders and real organizations that build their lives this way and improve this way. So I am writing a book. It is called The Feedback Economy because feedback is free and available everywhere. Um, You don't need an assessment or an anonymous survey to get feedback on the way that you impact the people that matter to you. And Sounds like feedback currency. Exactly. What's the, what's the value currency? currency? Yes. That you're exchanging. And it's right now, the answer is everywhere low. So I Mm -hmm. use that pesos example. That's basically what people are dealing with. Their feedback is, has the value of a peso. 
And you've got to model the way as a leader to go get more valuable feedback that can actually help you to improve and level up. And it really does make life more meaningful. So I'm, I'm trained as a chaplain and I like went to seminary before I became the academic. And so that belonging question, that's a real question for me. That's a spiritual, like real honest question for people is how do I live a more meaningful life and how do I improve for the people that I love and serve? This is the way that you do it. It's hard, but it's free and it's right there. Um, so, so that book is underway. That will be that book will be done by the end of 2020, regardless of COVID, regardless of obstacles, we've planned out for as many as possible. I have predicted as many of the ones that are going to come from my <laughs> dark closets as possible. And um, I'm breaking my own shit on that. Um, I will be very proud of myself if I can contribute something that's really useful for people who want to improve and grow for the people and the businesses that they love in a way that, that works. Kara, when did you decide to go this direction? Uh, probably six months ago, I got some really difficult feedback from someone really close to me, a business partner, and it changed my life. I felt more loved and known and like I had more clarity of sight about how to like improve in a way that was way more unafraid, um, than I had ever heard before. And I, it really helped me start to see kind of like memento, right? I start to review all the people that I've coached, all the leader stories, all the organizations and what was blocking them from really meaningfully improving together. And it was this really poor, weak feedback economy, real resistance, like gut level, like spiritual battle kind of resistance to feedback when it's the way to like really own your shit and improve for others and God. So that's what, that's it really, I owned it at that point that, that nobody else is really willing right now to answer that call. Um, so I was at the like gut level conviction. This is what I should do stage. And I've moved into the like adrenaline located in my like legs, ready to sprint and make it occur um right now so we're at we're at like agent publisher stage i have a nice strong outline and um lots of practices i on friday i'm gathering one of my coaches teams um we're gonna break some shit together we're gonna do it and really with really meaningful questions um so i'm on a path to iteration around my practices and around the worksheets deliverables deep questions like all those things um, it's exciting. a whiteboard. I'm excited to read it. I'm excited to read it and have you back on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. Please do. Yeah. I'm hungry for it. I'm, it's my responsibility to chase feedback for my own improvement. And Does this mean that we need to hold you accountable too? being like, where yes. is it? 2020. Yes. All right. We'll book that podcast text. All right. Yes, sir. Thank no you. No problem. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Well, Kara, we uh, thank you guys for having me. This is really, yeah. really yeah. incredible. I am grateful proud to have you Really. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Power Athlete Nation, for tuning into another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Just a second. Ding. Um, you can give me a here? No. You're out? All right. That's it. That's fine. 2020. We'll it's the year of no. Mm. What was that? Mm. The year of no what? Mm. Ing? Did he say Ing? No. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, 
do us a favor. Leave us a review. Review this episode. Review this podcast. We're top 200 now. Get us to top 50. Try to improve uh, the I reviews that you read at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, and do us a favor. Don't give us <laughs> real feedback. Just lie and give us five stars. I'm winking, Kara. Keep ass feedback yeah, not we accepted. Don't, we don't want your pesos. We want your gold bars. Whip them out. Let's go. <laughs> I think it hurt. All right. And uh, yeah, okay. Enough about us. Thank you, Kara. Thank See you, ya. guys. Bye. Bye. Kara, I'm going to follow up via email. We'd love to send you a <laughs> gift pack and appreciation for your time oh. today. It was awesome. Look at look at how I use it, dude. I showed awesome. up on a uh, I showed up on a Deuce like coaching call. I just like dropped in a, like kind of like like ninja style, and um and I was wearing my like Eat the Week hat, and uh, and everybody called me out on it. They're like, "What's up, is Kara over here with the Power Athlete HQ?" Yeah. <laughs> it's the flag. It's the good we stuff. Appreciate it. Yeah, and I guess hey. is. Is there, and then how about for, for your husband as well? So give us his size. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, right on. Yeah, you can sport of the jujitsu the jiu gym there. Sweet. And um, best of luck. Yeah. We'll be in touch. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. See you later. Bye. 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 Kick the wheels right before the hammer strikes. Make sure the levels fall from low. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. If this is your first time hearing Dr. Miller, you have most certainly just become a fan, possibly a cult member. She is the best. We love her. And you can find her on Instagram at Developmental Coach. And keep your eyes peeled for her new book, which is sure to break your shit and blow minds at airports everywhere. Until next time, bye!